Good evening and welcome to El Oso Fumar Takes. This is our 266 take live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studio of Azel, Texas. I'm your host, Barry Duplicy, as always, and I'm so proud, so pleased, and so privileged to be with you all tonight. This is going to be a fantastic show. Three distinguished guests tonight. Yes, count them up. One, two, and three. A panel of three amazing gentlemen that I will get to introductions in just a moment. But before we get to formal introductions of our guests of honor, we do have to thank the people that make this show possible. And that, of course, is our friends and our sponsors at Drew Estate. Drew Estate has done it again, once again, with their partnership with the Drew Estate's Deadwood Tobacco Company, the girl with no name, Connecticut Shade Robusto Services, exclusively at jrcigars.com and cigars.com. Subtle, mysterious, and hard to pin down. The Deadwood tobacco company the girl with no name has once again changed her appearance and is riding her husky black stallion to a new locale drifting across the old west high plains to the badlands of south dakota and countless locations in between death deadwood tobacco company's girl with no name has thrown countless pursuits off her trail says von boyd deadwood tobacco company's founder and former owner who partnered with drew estate to uncover the notorious deadwood ladies sultry tales one Buff at a time. The voluptuous and rebellious temptress has turned up once again, and only the most resourceful bandits and bounty hunters have any hope of roping her in. The Deadwood Tobacco Company's girl with no name, Connecticut Shade Robusto 5x50, is now available exclusively at JR Cigars and Cigars.com, featuring the iconic Deadwood Cigars Sugar Skull artwork and on both the band and box. The latest Deadwood. The Girl with No Name is available in both 20-count boxes and five packs and features a succulent Ecuadorian Connecticut shade-grown wrapper that is blended with bewitching exotic tobaccos to enchant anyone lucky enough to track her down. So check it out at JR Cigars and Cigars.com, our good friends at Drew Estate. And welcome, everyone. This is our 266 take. Without further ado, it is my pleasure to welcome in these three distinguished gentlemen. Our tonight's guest is our sponsored by United Cigar, Smoke One Today, and Start a Living United Misters. Yes, David Lafferty, Derek Matthews, and Miguel Shodell of Dunbar Tobacco and Trust of the Hennigar Brands and Crown Heads. Gentlemen, how are we doing tonight? We're, we're, we're good. That was an overwhelming intro, right? That was a, a lot of Conti, uh, the copy and content. And you, Bear, I have to congratulate you on having so many different sponsors. So Drew Estate started at the beginning. You yes. have now gone to United Cigars, and you are draped in Alec Bradley. So, sir, yes. I am going to send you a bill for my time for being here. Like, <laughs> I was like always loved you, but I really have a deeper appreciation for how you just came out and just slammed up, and you laid out a triple on that one. Very nicely done, Barry. It was very, very good. good, very good. If I if I had a if I had a ten number sign, I would have put it up. I would have said yeah. perfect landing. He did it. I loved it. I thought it was great. Well, um, the, met all the metaphor of the triple is perfect, David, because you know the 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 Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust curveball segment is coming up later, so you're you're good Beautiful. there too. Love it, love it. <laughs> all right, Miguel, thank you so much for joining us too. Derek, thank you. Uh, our we have two first time guests tonight with David and Derek, gentlemen. Thank you so much, uh, Derek. You're on the road. I, I appreciate you. You're not even at the comforts of home, and uh, you but you found a home for yourself tonight uh, in. Uh, and a very nice uh, dark uh, dark corner there for you. But yes, uh, this segment sponsored by Hilton at the Hampton Inn, Tampa. <laughs> uh, so we'll see if we can get some patronage there. Sounds yeah, good. Got here a couple of days ago, and we're going to be running Florida for this uh, this week. So happy to be on the show, though. Thanks for having me. Weird, Absolutely. you already got hit with a cease and desist. Nicely done, Derek. That's the story. <laughs> hey, that's, the, that's uh, the business, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I love it. This cool. is the business we've chosen. All right. 
All right. Well, gentlemen, I thought it would be fun to start off with. So I, I actually had a really fun day today with my for with my family. Um, and so but I wanted to I thought it'd be an interesting kind of like icebreaker topic and everything. Um, this was not a thing when I was a kid, but it's like become a thing. And I think there's a lot of examples of that, uh, you know, for all of us, like, you know, things were like not a thing when we were younger. And now they've become like essentially like a mainstay. But pumpkin patches. Like taking your kid to a pumpkin patch, letting them pick out a pumpkin, taking all like sorts of fall pictures, hay rides, you know, corn maze, all that good stuff and everything like that. Did it? Is it just me or did like anyone else grow up with a corn maze, like a, a like a, a, a pumpkin patch thing when they were a kid? Or is it just like now that I have small children that I realize it? It's very New England. It's a very New England thing to do. We had pumpkin patches. We had lots of cornfields. We had all of that stuff. You know, growing up in Ohio um october 1st it was beautiful because the weather would start changing you know and then there were so many farms outside of cincinnati and so they would all turn into pumpkin patches and they'd have the corn mazes and i'll be honest with you now that i've lived in florida for five years i miss that i i loved doing that you know they would have like petting stations for animals i had great memories of that growing up and then i took my kids for a long time to those things as well uh david i i know i know you're a new england boy Derek, I don't know where you grew up at. Did you have that too? Uh, no, I grew up in Texas and uh, I still live in Texas. We did not have that growing up, Bear. I know you're in Texas and mm-hmm. I have the same experience. Uh, my wife makes sure that every year we're doing uh, one of two pumpkin patches that have been consistent. So I get either either we didn't have them or I was neglected as a child. I'm not sure which. <laughs> Yeah, a little bit, little bit of column I, A, a little bit of column B. I don't really want to throw my parents under the bus, but yeah, like it was like this, like it, dude, certainly wasn't a thing, but like now it's like super popular. My kids love it. I like, I don't know what it was about before I had kids and I'd like saw all these pumpkin patch things and I was just like, that's stupid. That's dumb. You'll never catch me at one. And then I'm like, now I'm going every year with my kids and they, they freaking love it. They think it's, and it's cool. I, like, it's I think so Christmas. I think Christmas is similar to that. By the time I was a teenager, I, like Christmas was like a pain in the rear, didn't like it until I had kids. And then now I, I Christmas is one of my favorite times of the year. And I find myself listening to Christmas music and doing all those things. And as a teenager, I thought that stuff was stupid. Now I'm a grown man and I'm like, I got teenagers. I'm like, oh no, I love that stuff. You know what I mean? And and so I feel you, brother. Things well, change, that's a, that's man. A, that's that's the way that I felt about a 401k when I was 18. The meat cutters, <laughs> the supermarket, like put the money in, kid. I'm like, that's beer money. These are stupid. What's wrong with you? Yeah. And I get guys retiring from a stop shop with two million of 401k. I'm like, man, I made a bad choice <laughs> on that one. No, I love, I love uh like when you're talking about the Christmas stuff, Miguel, like uh I love embracing my Grinch role. I'm not really a Grinch, but the family likes seeing me act like the Grinch. So I, I you know, I play the role well. <laughs> we need to get you some green, a green outfit. You know what I mean? And, and, no, I have a neat. My niece loves the Grinch and she she she's got the trademark for the Grinch for Christmas. I'd, I'd probably get my throat cut if I tried doing that. I don't know, man. You need to you need to check the the trademark office, Derek. I smell a I smell an Oveja Negra limited edition cigar, the Grinch, man. I don't know if that's taken or not. Uh, yeah, well, I'll run that up the flagpole and see what happens with that. <laughs> James Brown, get on that Candela right now. Come on, 
all sorts of bad ideas in that combination right there. <laughs> I don't, know. don't we get them all? That another Ac- benefit of accusation of marketing towards children, make it a fucking candela. Yeah. Like, yeah. Really, they just—I don't know which idea. I, I don't know. Yeah, I saw, man. I, of all of all of all four people on this, I wasn't—I didn't think I was going to be the one to step in it tonight, David. You're right. I think right. I just went into some quicksand there. I'm going to get out though. We're gonna, <laughs> we're going to pick my cigar next, though, guys. I have a tradition here on the show. I ask my guest of honor to always pick a cigar. I've got three great guests tonight, so we're going to leave this out. Price is right rules. I'm going to pick a number between one and twenty. Um, and uh closest to closest to getting it. Well, actually, we'll yeah, we'll go one through twenty, closest to getting it without going over. Um, can uh can pick my cigar and I'll I'll share my cigars here in just a moment. So uh David, why don't you pick a number? Ten. Miguel? Fifteen. Okay. Derek. Um, favorite number is eight, so I'm gonna go with eight. Okay. Well, the, fa- the, the well, the number, yeah, closest number so it's nine was my number. So Derek wins because Miguel went over by one. So there's no tiebreaker. So the closest price was right rules. So going under. So nice, uh, nice. Oh, David was the one who picked 10. Excuse me. Um, so all right, Derek, I you still get lost. To- it didn't it didn't matter whether it was me or Miguel. We still lost. So <laughs> I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna correct you on that. I right. called you out of the Grinch and you know Candela. So, so. I've got some cigars here, uh, Derek, for you to pick from for my lineup tonight. So uh, we'll start off with uh, I have available to smoke uh, the Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust Scene Compromiso Selection Number Five. Uh, five uh, six by fifty four. I have another Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust Sober Mesa Brulee Blue. Two products you might be familiar with, including a new one and an old one. Here, I've got a Dissident Home 2021. Yes. Mm. And I also have one of the new Bishop's Blend, the 5x50. Available I mean, for you to pick. And then from Crowned Heads, I have the Le Carême Bellicosofinos Limited Edition 2022. Classic. And I have the Four Kicks Mule Kick Limited Edition 2022 as well. So your choice, Derek, what is my cigar? I suppose since it's my first time on a show, I could really make a name for myself if I went off my own brands. But I'm going to I'm going to say you got to smoke the Novum Dialis. That's the new bishop. Um, so I, yeah, that's the one you got to smoke. All right. New bishops. Maybe, man, maybe go. go long. You know, maybe you put me in a box later if you finish that one out and I can pick another one for you. And then there you go. You're right. If I want to piss off, you know, David or Miguel. So. All Listen, right. I smoke I smoke both of your guys' cigars. So um, you know, I think you, you can't go wrong with any of those up there, man. And I'll be honest with you, that bishop, I haven't smoked that bishop blend yet. I've smoked everything else on that, on that. So uh uh I think that's a beautiful smoke, man. I'm a sucker for uh thank you torpedoes and, and shaped or you know, figurados, anything with a pointy t- head on it. Yeah, that's uh, that papal theme we stick with. And in case anybody's wondering why we have that Novum Dialis name with it, that's a nine-day mourning period when a pope passes for respect before they do the, the black or the white smoke. So that's why um, we went with the theme on that. Before they go to conclave. Yeah, that's right. I'm a good Catholic boy. And they destroy the ring. Yeah. I was actually at Pope Benedict's... Uh installation back in the day when i still worked in dc and worked for a member of congress we wanted a congressional delegation for the catholic members of congress uh okay I'm, I'm hebrew yeah if you go through my my instagram feed you'll find a picture of me taking a picture of the pope like that's real awesome. close with him that was there it was it was bizarre because it was also passover and i'm jewish and i reached out to a buddy of mine i'm like all right i'm not going to be around i'm going to 
you know, I got to go to the Vatican. You know, <laughs> going, yeah, Odell, head over there. And he goes, what's what's the punchline to the joke? He's like, this Jew goes to the Vatican <laughs> to the Pope installed at Passover. He's like, Passover. there's got to be a punchline to a joke here somewhere. Like, yeah, my Just, life has been very If you both would have walked into a bar, that would have been. That would <laughs> yeah, been exactly. Oh, so being Benedict, yeah, go ahead. Oh, man. Well, that's that's. That's, I mean, I mean, just despite uh, despite your uh, your upbringing there, David, I think that's that's still that this still had been pretty cool to be a part of. I mean, you don't, it's, oh, absolutely, no one, get, no one gets to, see, not everyone gets to see that. I mean, I've had no. two in my, well, three in my lifetime, and uh, you know, that's that's, I mean, shoot, that's rare too. So that's crazy. yeah, no, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, oh. yeah a lot right. of times people sort of go through my pictures and go, what I don't, I don't understand. Is this is this Photoshop? Is this real? I'm like, listen, <laughs> man, I have. I've, I've made some poor choices in my life. It's okay. Have been, things have been good, but it's, it's things have been weird. Awesome. Well, let's, uh, I just lit up the Don Vialis uh, Bishop's Blend and uh, let's go ahead and kick things off with tonight's major point, which is always brought to you by the people. Yes, cigar people, the people who know everything about a lifetime of service. Protocol Cigars is more than just pool parties and good times. Well, Maybe it is. But behind the fun is a motivation for service, a motivation for giving back. From the original Protocol Blue to the latest release in the Lawman series, Phoebe Cousins Protocol has always been about honor, passion, and yes, the people. It's what their life's work has been and always will be about. Power of the P Protocol Cigars. Well, gentlemen, I, I put together this panel and I put together this show because I really wanted to take the opportunity. I thought it was uh, pretty unique to have the ability to have three uh, heads of sales for, I mean, three standout brands uh, in our industry, um, you know, especially since, you know, we're, we're, you know, the last few years, we've seen some acquisitions and everything where some brands are actually getting a lot bigger and things like that. But we're also seeing a real awesome kind of renaissance i i think you know it's kind of like the boom 2.0 in, in in my opinion of the cigars but like better what the first boom should have actually been with actually good cigars and not crap cigars so um that's kind of where i wanted to just kind of take it and i got some questions lined up for everyone tonight and everything but i thought we'd like we kick things off and uh you know miguel's been the only uh previous guest on the show by the way this is uh, miguel's uh, this is Miguel's ninth appearance on this show. He holds the record for most appearances on, on my show. So uh, thanks for, uh, thanks for uh, being a constant supporter, Miguel. We appreciate it. Listen, I'm just trying to get that 10th hole punch brother for the free, for the free uh, fro yo. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Toppings are extra. Toppings so, are extra. It, it's been a long time since you shared your story, Miguel. So I thought we'd ask everybody on the panel, like, how did you actually get to be the national head of sales for a major cigar brand? Like, where, like, what road did you take to actually get there? And and and, uh, like, how did you end up in the position you're in? Um, well, for me, you know, I, I was, um, I really got into cigars uh, about ninety five, ninety six. Um, I was geeking about them since ninety two, but ninety five, ninety six is where I actually tried my first premium hand rolled cigar. I've told that story a lot of times. It was an Opus X um, in my garage with 10 of my brother's friends. And we passed around like it was a joint. Did not know how to smoke a cigar back then. Uh, but in 98, I fell in love with a brand called CAO. And, and lo and behold, years later, I got a chance to join CAO uh, as a regional rep for them, Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, Kentucky. And and really cut my teeth with the uh, Osgunner family. And they taught me everything I knew. It was a lot of fun. We were a brand that was bubbling and then blew up. and it was a lot of fun, you know, and, and after the, that company had sold, I joined Taranio 
and became the national sales manager for Toronto. And it was a lot of fun because we kind of rebuilt that brand. It was closed out of a lot of shops at that point, And we were kind of rebuilding it um, and had so much fun and met Jack Toronto. And and uh, and at that time, the Toronto was making all the CAOs anyway. So it was kind of a, a you know, a, just a step over, if you will. Did a little brand with Duran. I learned the international business. Um, I sold a lot international for Duran, Hong Kong, Canada. And then my good friends at Crown Heads, Mike, uh, Condor, John Huber, who were executives at CA at CAO, they had started Crown Heads in 2011, and they got to a certain size where they needed a national sales manager and wanted to go international with the brand as well. And so I came on board with them, and and uh, it's probably been five, six years, if not longer, seven years possibly with CAO and our Crown Heads and you know Osgener Family Cigars uh, is a brand that we're also now uh, we kind of launched um, the family at CAO and. I've had the, the, I always say, if you work hard and you're honest, good things will happen to you. And I feel very blessed uh, at my age that I've been in this industry 21 years. And um, I consider myself lucky, man. I love the business. I love the industry. I love the history. Um, you know, guys like David Lafferty and now I, Derek, I was not as familiar with you, but now, now Derek, you're my friend. I sent you a friend request on Facebook. Um, it's official. You know, these guys, uh, you know, all of us, I think, that are in this position, it is a lot of work, but I can't speak for the two other guys, but I'm sure um, there's nothing else we'd want to be doing than representing an industry that's really about family. It's about agriculture and it's about handmade products. So that's how I got to where I'm at today and and I feel very blessed to do so. Awesome. Derek, uh, as Miguel's newest friend, official friend, since on Facebook and everything, how did, how did you get started in, the, in this industry and how did you find your way to the position that you're at? Well, it's kind of funny, Miguel, talking about CAO because um, my introduction to premium cigars was sitting around a campfire. Uh, a buddy of mine who worked at a shop in DFW had brought a box of CAO Brasilia, the goal, oh, wow. and uh, handed me one. And I lit it up and I smoked it and I said, wow, hand me another one of those, you know, Yeah. Uh, and I said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a box of those. He says, hold on, tap the brakes. There's a whole world out there. So I dove headfirst into, you know, shows like this and podcasts and magazines and everything I could get my hands on. Uh, decided to take a part-time job at a retailer in, uh, near, in Texas near where I lived. And through that process, uh, that was from about 2012 uh, through 2017. I was working VA full-time and um, took that job as part-time. And, you know, Black Label started in 2013. Uh, I was not part of it, uh, but we were one of the early adopting shops. And so James and Angela and Stephanie had come to my shop. We had an event. Um, we hit it off. It didn't happen overnight over the process of about two years of building a rapport, a relationship. Um, you mentioned at the beginning, how do we become part of these big or, you know, significant brands? And at the beginning, you know, it, it wasn't a significant brand. That's where we wanted it to be. And they needed someone to do U.S. operations. Uh, so we struck a deal where, so not only am I national sales manager, I'm also one of the owners of the company. Um, so I came on board with Black Label in 2016, which is the same year we launched uh, Blackworks Studio. Um, so that was uh, my introduction and, and kind of, so I've been doing it this job since 2016. I just left the VA permanently to do this full time, to your point, Miguel, about nothing else you, you would want to be doing. Um, so yeah, it's been uh, an adventure. At one point I had all three jobs. I had the VA, I had the tobacco shop and I had black label. 
little I, I wasn't feeling that it was a conflict of interest to be at the shop and black label but that overlap did not last long uh just because of you know bandwidth and you know i didn't want there to be any question of impropriety with the shop or anything so uh, i left that in 2017 about a year after being with black label so and i've been with it since nice well uh god bless the work you did with the va they need all the help they can get so yeah, it's a great organization. I, you know, they do a very important work. It's just the uh, middle management stuff can, will, uh, will chip away at your soul. I, I hear that. And and that is, that's very informative for, for positions that like the three of us are in. It's important to remember that when we're working with our staff, you know? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, so David, you, you, I think I, I'm not sure, but I believe you might have a couple of years on Miguel. I'm not, this isn't a joke, but I think you have a couple of years, years on Miguel in the industry. I know you guys have been in together for a long time. Um, I, I started just a little while, a little while after I started in 2007. Um, I actually started okay, in, State in 2007, uh, the Houston, Houston trade show. I just sort of stumbled into it. A friend of mine was the drew rep before me. Uh, he, took a position I started as the New England and upstate and Western New York rep with, with Drew. Uh, I had been years back. I was a deputy sheriff. I left that to go work for the member of Congress and go back and forth between DC and Rhode Island, wherever else in the world he traveled. Uh, he was uh, the only quadriplegic member of Congress and I was his shadow. Uh, so I went wherever he went. He was on armed services committee, Homeland security committee, and the intelligence committee. So I liaised with all the different alphabet soup agencies that are out there. Uh, did that for a period of time. Uh, was married, had uh, you know two teenage daughters, and you know my now ex-wife said, "I can't do this anymore. I need you home. You have to be here. I can't. I can't deal with this." Uh, so I left and came home, and was thinking about working for my friend's lobby shop. And my buddy said to me, "Oh, uh, I'm leaving and going over to Oliva. Oliva had been using just all brokers at the time, and they were going in-house. He's like, they shrunk my territory, gave me a big raise. I'm leaving, but." Uh, Marvin's in town and Marvin Samuel, who was John Drew's partner, he said, I think you guys have hit it off. We met at a cigar bar, had lunch, talked, and he did two events that week and one in Rhode Island and one in Connecticut. And both shops vouched for me because I was just a cigar head. I grew up in around cigars, not premium cigars, but my great grandfather passed away a few months shy being 103. And that old man always had a cigar dangling off of his lips. So if you were in the backyard with grandpa and he's smoking a cigar and you happen to take a puff, you know, it wasn't encouraged, but you didn't get a beating. You know, if they, if they caught you smoking cigarettes, you got your ass whooped. And I, I got a lot of ass whoopings over the years for that when I was younger, but, uh, you know, started sort of smoking cigars. You graduated from high school in 91, smoked cigars with friends. We we're 18. We could do that. So to get into it and it was just a, it was a hobby. It was the relaxation of, of doing that. So having the opportunity to, wow, be in the cigar business. And I had gotten geeky back in the day, like Miguel came from CAO. Back in the day, I smoked a lot of CAO when it was still made by Don Douglas when he was doing that. That that Maduro was ninety eight. Oh yeah, 98. oh my god, yeah, it was so good. I mean, you had you had CAO and Tony Borhani sort of before like the original rock star Don Douglas was making that stuff and just sort of got into it. That was my relaxation and that was my busted out can't spend more than five bucks on a cigar type of thing but i just wanted it to be really really good it just delivered in that experience cigars were always that relaxation point for me so being able to get in and do it was was pretty exciting for me so i started with drew in 07 uh but i had a lot of uh the curiosity of the business and sort of uh, injected myself into the things that I kind of 
possibly didn't belong in. But at the time, Drew was such a small company that it was all hands on deck. So Steve Saka was the president of the company at the time. So I asked a lot of questions, factory questions, things like that, and started in 07 and in 08 became the regional manager and managed the Salesforce east of the Mississippi and had five reps that worked for me and started to handle some of the lower tier key accounts. Plus I handle the legislation and flash forward, I was there for 11 years and wore a bunch of different hats and left as one of the directors. So I, when I left, I was a director of national accounts. So all the web catalog and wholesale laddered up to me. So I've done a, between things of, you know, hosting cigar safaris, traveling back and forth to Nicaragua, dealing with as a rep in the small accounts, dealing with the medium tier. Just I spent a lot of time at a lot of cold, damp warehouses, dealing with wholesalers, you know, places that nobody would ever think of where a lot of this business gets done because places either they want to buy through uh, along cultural lines. They don't have the license to go direct. They can't afford to buy the minimums that the you know, companies put in. So uh, spent 11 years with with Drew Estate, left there uh, for a year, for a little under a year to be the executive director over at Nat Sherman because I had gotten divorced. I moved to New York. I was with my, my now wife. Uh, I knew the guys at Nat Sherman very well and went there to be the executive director. And one day I randomly got a phone call from Steve Saka over here at Dunbarton. And he said to me, Dave, are you, are you happy there? And I said, Steve, I'm a grown ass man. And happy is a relative term. What I can tell you is <laughs> it's a good company. I said, my, my dad was a welder. My mom was a school teacher. My dad was a welder. And my dad used to say, listen, kid, all jobs suck. Some jobs suck less than others. Try and find the job. You don't want to blow your brains out of your head every morning when you get up. Life will probably be okay. I said, so things are good. They treat me well. I said, there's just something weird here going on. I can't, I can't put my finger on it. And they just shut down, you know, parent company Altria just shut down their vape division. And a few days later, there's a company-wide conference call because they had just invested uh, like $26 billion in cash in Jewel in what Forbes magazine now calls the worst business decision of all time and invested money in a cannabis company in Canada. And they said, we're doing a reduction in force. We're you know, offering early retirement, very generous severance packages. And I, I called Saka up. And I said, hey, do you want to finish that conversation we started a couple of weeks ago? And he said, I, I can't afford you. I said, I know you can't. I said, but they're going to subsidize you for a bit. He said, listen, I don't need you now. But the problem is I need you three years from now and you're going to be someplace else. So I need to pick you up now. I said, OK, let's let's get this done. So I've been with uh, with Steve and Cindy now going on five years. Uh, we've been friends for a very long time. Uh, what I love about them is he not only does he not micromanage, he said that his his uh, management managerial style is more of letting me run feral and just doing my job. And the nice thing about being with Steve versus like, you know, like Derek had said of dealing with, you know, middle management and things like that. If Steve calls me up, it always starts with, you know, where do we stand with this project? And man, a lot of managers in the past in different places, it starts off with how come this isn't done yet? You know, like it is done. It was done two weeks ago. Here's what we've done. You didn't tell me you needed all this information. It always starts with sort of the supposition that you are doing your job. So I've been here, you know, handling, handling all of the U, everything in the U.S. ladders up to me. We have certain parts of the country where we don't have anybody. It runs, it runs vacant. And we've got about five brokers around the, around the U.S. That's awesome. So did his, since you've been the company for five years, Dave, did his production come true? Did he need you in three years? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if, if Cindy told you he needed me 30 minutes later, you know, because I can, <laughs> I, I can be a bit of a sounding board, you know, he, he trusts my judgment and he knows that I have a, a, a different view and I'm not there to just be a yes man. Uh, so there'll be certain things that I come to him and say, Hey, listen, we, 
I see what we're doing. Here's this. What is the, I also say, you're the owner of the company. I'll do whatever you want. Whatever you want to do, you own it. It's yours. And he'll, some things will just say, no, I know you're right. I'm still doing this. I'm like, oh, okay. I just, I had to get it out there and I had to tell you. Uh, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things that it's just, he knows that I'm just going to handle it and take care of it. It's not, not an issue not bother him with it. You know, I, I think that, I think all of our stories kind of fold all back to relationships, right? Derek working at the retail, getting to know uh, James Brown and in and, and full circle, he's working for James. And then now he's a partner with James. And, and then you look at David when he first got in, Saka was the uh, president, I believe, right, of, of yeah. DE. And now all these years later, he's there. When I joined CAO, I'm back working for Mike and John and Tim Osgener. I mean, it's, this is a, it's a pretty cool relationship business. You don't burn bridges. You do your job. You're a good person. It'll always be a place for you in this business. And you had, you had touched on it earlier, Miguel, where you said trust. And trust is such a big thing in this business. And I half joke that this is an industry that's run by liars and thieves. And that half joke is me being polite. Uh, but you know, <laughs> when you have people that have been around for a long time and you just know, I'll say to people a lot of times, listen, you might not like what I tell you, but it's going to be the truth. I don't want to have to remember a lie six, that I told you right now, six months later, because it just it would make it less uncomfortable right now. Let's have the uncomfortable conversation. And, you know, when we were all off camera a little, a little earlier before the recording started, I, I said, one of the things that I say to a lot of different, a lot of different accounts or a lot of different people, it's okay to say, we're just not a good fit for each other. It doesn't mean you're wrong or I'm wrong or you're right or I'm right. It just means that our business model doesn't align with your business model. So God bless. I don't wish you any ill, ill will or ill feelings. We're just not going to do business together. Doesn't mean that two years from now, we're not a good fit and we can't do things better. Six months from now, things might be a little bit different, but there's no reason. Another thing I say a lot is there's no reason to make enemies for free. You know, it might feel good to pop off at the mouth and run off and just sort of burn things down, but there's no reason to, and, and, and don't punch down. You know, a lot of you find in this business, a lot of people like to kick the little guy for no particular reason, just because they can, because it's an ego thing. And it, it just, it's just rude and it's disrespectful. And it just, it, it's, it's Bush league. You know, I think you bring up an interesting topic there, David, just about being a good fit. And I think that like, you know, I'm in sales too in my day job. And so it's, it's always about, you know, you, 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 you got to hit numbers, you got to hit growth. There's like, it's, we're all in the business of scaling. Right. But at the end of the day, sometimes it just, it just doesn't work out for one reason or another. Like you said, it's not necessarily them. It's not necessarily us. It's not the high school girlfriend speech where they're talking about, it's not you, it's me, you know, that kind of thing. But um, it, you know, sometimes it's just a, it's just a mutual, uh, you know, a, 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 a mutual, it's in the mutual best interest and everything. Um, you know, Derek, you said you were one of the, you know, the shop that you were working on was one of the early adopters of what has now become Oveja Negra Brands, but, you know, at the time it was Black Label Trading Company. You know, I, I well, can I say something about that? Sure. Just before absolutely. we go on with it. Yeah. I'm sorry to cut you off and I, no. I want you to pick it back up, but I, I think it's important to clarify like uh, Oveja Negra Brands is our the distribution group mm -hmm. and we, everything is made at our factory, Fabrico Oveja Negra, uh, but Black Label Trading Company uh, is its own company. Um, so, you know, we, we also make for dissident and Emilio, but, um, like I'm, I'm one of the owners of black label trading company. Gotcha. So I, I, we do work with those guys and, you know, I help to manage Emilio as well. Uh, but I just want to put that out there for anybody who's listening, just to make sure they understand that, um, you know, I'm not an owner of Emilio. I'm not an owner of dissident. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, but again, you manage a you manage a, a really nice portfolio of a variety of bands, which is the point, like underneath this umbrella that you're talking about. But I mean, from from your standpoint of again, you were one of the early adopters, and so with, you know, I mean, do you, how, 
especially with navigating a portfolio of brands, um, and I'm sure you know Miguel and, and David can offer this too. Like, is there a is there a certain like approach that you take when you're talking to a, a potential new account? Like, do you lead with black label? Do you lead with another brand if you know to to make kind of what may be a better fit for their business? Yeah, I you know. As an owner of Black Label, I'm always going to lead with Black Label. Um, that's just, you know, it's what I was brought into. It's what I do. Um, I do have a responsibility to represent Emilio, um, but um, Dissident is, it's, you know, the owners of that company do that with the same group of reps. We share, Ovea, our reps are all part of the Ovea Negra team. So they sell all three brands. When I go into an account, uh, I'm leading with Black Label, but I am letting them know about like basically what I just, I, I don't go into the fact that, oh no, you can't talk to me about dissident. I don't, I don't do that. I don't say that, but I do let them know what the structure is and and how to go about those things. And I mean, with Black Label starting in 2013, you know, we didn't have our own factory back then. Ovea Negra wasn't, wasn't in existence back then. Um, it wasn't until 2015 that um, James and Angela and Stephanie started Ovea Negra, uh, the, the factory. Um, so I don't know if I answered your question with that, but I, yeah. I take the approach of, you know, right now to the other brands, um, you know, we help each other and for better or worse right now, Black Label is the one that more, you know, people know that brand. Um, so that is a natural lead. That's a little bit, it, there's probably some similarities, Miguel, but there's probably some differences with Crown Heads and, and Oz Jenner uh, Family Cigars, correct? Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously... Um... Tim was born into the business. Um, Mike Condor has been in the business since 1980. John's been in it since the early 90s. And after all those years of experience and, and CAO came to an end, um, in 2011, they launched Crown Heads. So Crown Heads is obviously the stronger brand out of the two, Osgener uh, and Crown Heads, because it's been around longer. But when we lead into a store, it's usually the two Osgener brands and three of our core main brands at Crown Heads, Lepetissier, Mil Diaz, Juarez, and and uh, Lamperiosa, and, or three or four of our main brands. So, you know, part of it is also understanding the retailer and what the retailer needs and what the retailer is looking for. You know, if a retailer is very strong at selling, you know, kind of bang for your buck cigars, we'll always kind of lead with Juarez. If they're really well with selling full-bodied cigars, all that plays into understanding your retailer, understanding their consumers, understanding what their needs are. Um, you know, I, I would say that the vast majority of our cigars, e either it be Crown Heads or Osgener, they really, they play in that medium bodied cigar category. Um, you know, Lafferty, I'm sure he'll go into it, but you know, what's great is they have a Connecticut and they have full bodied cigars. They've got a mix of everything. Um, mm -hmm. Derek, I smoked uh, a porcelain not long ago. I mean, that was fantastic. Right. And, and so, so when good. you have, when you have a wide variety you're able to offer those retailers, you know, a little bit wider um, um, swat, if you will, of, of product. And so uh, I think it's it's really, you know, leading with both for us because Tim is a, an owner of Crown Heads, but, you know, we really believe in both brands and believe both brands bring quality, consistency, and a good value for the smoke. You know, uh, this uh again the way i introduced you guys with the, the types of brands that you all represent and everything it's I, I think it's again three of the most premier brands um that are probably leading the i, I guess leading the boutique game is, is probably the best way i can do it 
I can say it like, cause obviously there, there's the, the bigger, the bigger companies like STG and Altidus and everything. You guys aren't at that level, you know, a fraction of the production of cigars. And it's just, it's just capacity, you know, like, uh, you know, Derek used the word, the appropriate word earlier, it's bandwidth. You know, there's only so much, you know, many cigars that you guys can produce, you know, you know, Derek's company has, has its own factory, but you, you know, Miguel and David, you guys, you guys collaborate with other factories uh, to produce, produce the cigars that you all, that you guys offer and everything. Um, I want to get Derek's take here at the end, just because he, he is in the unique position of, 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 you know, having his own factory produce the cigars that he, that he markets. But, um, you know, David, you know, you've been on both sides of this, you know, with DE, they had their own factory. Now, you know, along with Steve, you guys collaborate with a couple of different factories. How does this, you know, is this, is this a challenge or is this just different? And how does it differ from what you previously did in another position? It's, it's different. Uh, it's similar, but different. So we, we work with Hoya de Nicaragua uh, for the majority of our products. Uh, and we work with uh, Noxa, the Nicaraguan American Cigar Factory for our, excuse me, our Micarita, our Umbagog, and one of our Moesha de is called the Unstolen Valor. Uh, but we utilize uh, those factories more as a, as a labor force. Um, like a lot of times when people contract manufacture, they work for the factory, factory comes up with a certain blend, and you agree to the blend, you agree to the sizes, you agree to that, and they, they just you know, produce the things for you. Uh, with us, Saka actually goes out and procures a tobacco himself. So the factories that the factories that are making our cigars are utilizing our tobacco in their factory. So that's why when you uh, like I back in the day, what I used to smoke a ton of was Hoy de Nicaragua. Even before Drew Estate distributed Hoy de Nicaragua, I was on the Antonio bandwagon because I was also the consumer that came in. It was such a pain in the ass to my local retailer. Like you get your opus in, you got your opus in, you got your opus in. I used to drive her insane. And one day I walked in and with the normal jackass question, do you have your opus in? And she's like, you sit down, smoke this. She had just gotten back from uh, RTDA trade show and uh, they just released the uh, Hoyt and Nicaragua released the Antonio. She's like, smoke this. It's strong. You're going to love it. And I, I fell in love. It was that strong Nicaraguan Puro picky in the ass uh really out of this world so it was like, <clears throat> i was with drew one day and I, I showed up in a shop and they're like hey heard you guys get nick hoya to nicaragua i'm like really so i you know called called down to miami and i get mike salucci on the phone he's like nope it's just a rumor that's out there not happening so i go back into the shop and i tell him it's not happening he's like yeah all right you, you don't gotta lie to me i'm like i'm not lying i'm telling you it's not this and then like four days later there's the announcement that we're going to be distributing hoya to nicaragua which brings you back to the you know you, you try to be as honest with people as humanly possible but when you're left in the dark you know it it, it sucks uh but we've had you know the long-standing relationships you know when Saka was with uh when he worked for jr cigar back in the day when he worked for lou rothman uh he did a lot of projects out of the noxa factory so he's got the long-standing relationship with noxa and with hoya from bringing hoya on being distributed by by drew so we have great relationships in that factory and Steve's down there every month sort of working with it. We have our own dedicated rollers that work on our, our products. So it's, it's as close to having your own factory without having to worry. Like when I was with Drew, we did 165,000 handmade cigars every day, which means my sales force had to sell 165,000 cigars a day. And you had 2000 people directly at the factory that relied on you to feed their families. 
So it's very romantic to have a factory and it's great to have your own factory. And there's a lot of upsides to having your own factory and having your capacity. It's all yours and you're able to, to work through it and make sure that things are done properly. And there is a lot that comes along with that. And again, it's part of, you know, we we're on this call today and the idea is having sort of business conversations, but it's a lot of the business conversations that we don't show to consumers that don't peek behind the curtain because you know, people just want to enjoy their sausage. They don't want to watch how their sausage is made. When you go to Disney World, you just want to ride the rides. You want the mystery to still be there. You want the romance to still be there. And you start, you know, filling them in. And that's like, well, I don't, I don't this isn't fun anymore. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> you know, that's the, the difference is being able to do that. I mean, it, it, the downside is, you know, like Steve says, he'll turn to me every now and again to say, what do, what do I miss most about, about Drew Estate? I said, having minions, just having a million and one people that can do things for you. You get this done. You do this. Like we miss minions. You know, there's, there's like eight of us. There's, yeah. there's Steve and Cindy. There's Avon, a, a Amber, me, uh, the two people in the warehouse and, uh, you know, accounting. So we, we have, we have, you know, nine, nine people in total and then some brokers that are out there. So we, you know, for, for being a small family company, but, when I say with you know, as two fat guys punching above our weight, it's kind of a little ironic. But you know, we're sort of we're punching above our weight. It's it, it becomes all all hands on deck. So that's the big difference between having something done at somebody else's factory, but in a very unique way of it being our our stuff and our tobacco and our dedicated rollers that are there versus a lot of times where it's uh, we're just jobs. There's a is a wide range of things that are in this industry that are that are done and it just it's it's a unique to each company on how they how they go about doing it and it's not again again the, not the good fit conversation so it's not that one way is right and one way is wrong it's just how people do things absolutely man i mean it's very similar i mean we work with in nicaragua we work with uh, nox as well nicaraguan american cigars sa we work with don pepin at my father's cigars um, and we work with Takanixa, with the Radio Pichardo, and the Dominican, it's a little different. We work with Ernesto Perez Carrillo, and Ernie gives us free range in his factory, and 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 it's a very different relationship that we have with Ernie. You know what I mean? He's kind of the, uh, the if, silent if, member, if you will, of Crown If Head. I could just interrupt for one second, Ernie Perez Carrillo is one of the nicest human beings in the cigar industry, hands down, the godfather, Mr. LaGloria, could yeah. walk around, could have an attitude, could have an ego, an absolute gentleman and, yeah. and makes great cigars and is just like such a humble, humble, gentle man. Let me, he has one of my favorite quotes of all time in the cigar industry. They asked him one time, Cigar Aficionado asked him one time during the boom, how long do you age your cigars? And his response was, my cigars age in the UPS truck. And that is the greatest answer <laughs> I have ever heard in our industry. It was back in the boom when he was still doing it in Miami. And I, I love that man forever. He is magnificent. I got a, I had a little quick story about Ernie. Um, I was at a multi-vendor in Wisconsin years and years and years ago. <clears throat> and I was at this multi-vendor. Pete Johnson was there. There were a lot of names there at this event. And um, Ernie was there, uh, and then Jonathan Drew was there. And Jonathan Drew, Drew State, obviously big. I mean, he was kind of the name, the big name, if you will. And he really got the got up to give a speech. And 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 I have to tell you, he's his speech. He's this is the way he started. He said, "Listen, all you guys are here to talk to me, see me." He goes, "Let me tell you something." 
I'm going to tell you about Ernie Ernesto Perez Carrillo who's sitting in the back. And he actually went on like a 10 minute diatribe on Ernie. It was very classy. Great, great. Um, it was really neat to see that. And um, so we feel very blessed to work with uh, with the guys we work with. And all three of us have a very unique working relationship with factories. Right. Um, no matter if you own your own factory you still have to source tobacco. You still have to source bands. You have to still source boxes. You still have to source all these things. Even the biggest companies in the world, um, you know, Altidus General, if you take that next notch of Fuente, um, you take guys like Padron or Ernie, any of these guys out there, nobody supplies 100% of what they produce. You're relying on others because even if you grow tobacco in Nicaragua, maybe you're using Ecuadorian wrapper, you're using Connecticut broadleaf. And so the industry is, is all... Uh, it's an octopus. So there's all these tentacles that all help each other and reach, uh, reach out to each other. Um, it, it's, it's really unique uh, the way the industry works. Yeah. I love uh, uh, Dave. I'm not going to let that go by David would basically, he basically called me a, a bad butcher by putting together the show saying people don't want to know how the sausage is made. Yes, they do, sir. Yes, they do. <laughs> but De uh, Derek, uh, you know, again, I think, uh, I think you're one of the, the, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on this is because I think you do have a very unique, we're going to get into sales forces just here in a second, but I think you have one of the more unique positions by having y'all's own factory. Like to, uh, to Miguel's point, you guys source a lot of things, but the, everything is blended there by James put together there at the factory and everything. Uh, talk about how that has really been able to, it has to have been a huge boon for you and black label and being able to grow that brand because you, you it's all sourced out of the same spot. Well, when when they approached me about this this position and this role and my 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 role as an owner as national sales manager and developing the sales team and everything, I had to make sure that you know I was like I said I worked at a shop so I I smoked everything uh, you know all brands that were in that humidor, uh, but I wanted to feel comfortable with and and I know a lot of people in the industry David referred to some you know saying. Some people, you know, you put it nicely, I think. I don't remember exactly how you quoted it, but I didn't feel that I trusted everybody. I didn't feel that I liked everybody's product and I didn't feel that I could work with everybody. And so I was, uh, the stars really lined up for me because James's background is a, you know, a certified wine sommelier is a lot of what informs his blending and his palate. Um, so that was a, you know, that, that was huge. I mean, I had to have the trust and the loyalty factor, but I had to like the product. I don't want to sell something I don't like. Um, so, you know, being that they had gone into their own factory, that was just another, you know, another notch uh, to, to build upon. And it's, it's served us well because we have been able to develop the manufacturing and the sales force and the procurement. All, all of those things have all dovetailed together to come to what is now a Van Agra Brands, you know. That's awesome. The um so it, the, what I was alluding to here a second ago with with like sales forces and everything, you guys manage a a variety of different teams as I kind of alluded to at the very beginning. Um you know Derek you again you you manage this really unique combination of you have in-house sales an in-house sales team but you also have a team of brokers that represents uh, your company in other parts of the country that maybe you don't have in-house reps. What What's the, uh, I mean, there has to be some benefit there, but there's also got to probably be some checks and balances sure. and some challenges too. Like wh what does that look like on a daily basis? 
Well, sure. I mean, the the places where we don't have in-house, where we work with brokers, obviously, it was a geographic decision on where we needed help and who we felt like was strongest in the areas where we needed help. I mean, I mean, it probably goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway, that the part about working with brokers, the challenge is, you know, I, I don't ever break the guy's chops about other brands. That's not my role. That's how they feed themselves and their families. But, you know, I want to be first out of the bag. Uh, you know, anytime they walk into a shop and that's what you get with in-house. Um, so uh, we, we've been able to develop a system where um, I put some back-end systems in place that um, kind of ensure that we're never uh, last through the line. You know, uh, it's not an incentive-based thing or anything like that. It's just that we're coming forward with a lot of resources and um really creative. That's, that's one of James uh, and Angela's other strengths is creativity. Um, and that's really inspiring to me, even for stuff that would be boring on spreadsheets and paper and, you know, back in systems. Uh, so I don't feel like we're at a disadvantage with brokers. Uh, then you could ask the question, well, then why don't you go with all brokers? Um, it's a nice balance. We have a lot of loyalty to the people that have worked with us and supported us from the sales force. Um, and what that does is that the brokers see, especially at times like the trade shows and the sales meetings, they see what the in-house guys are doing and start incorporating it into their methods uh, for our products. And so I haven't felt uh, behind the curve or behind the eight balls with any of our brokers in that way. That's awesome. You talk about being first out of the bag. And David, you know, you you have a unique perspective, too, because you've worked with both in-house sales teams and now you manage a team of brokers with Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust. How do you navigate being, the, I'll use Derek's words here, being first out of the bag so that you can, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, uh, obviously, you know, scale to the, at the direction that you guys want to grow. Well, here's, here's the uniqueness of this. They're not allowed to take it out of the bag. Um, we, my guys aren't allowed to go out and knock on doors and open accounts. Uh, we have been, the way that our growth has been, it's been very organic. Uh, it's been accounts that have reached out to us and come to us. Uh, we know that we are still a small hand-sold brand. The majority of people don't know who we are. Uh, cigar geeks and real diehard cigar smokers know who we are. But the average consumer that walks through the door doesn't know who we are. And the retailer is going to have to do some legwork and recommend it. So <clears throat> a couple of years ago, we were at the uh, one of the TPE trade shows, the smaller TPE show, and uh, Cindy Saka had never attended that show before, and one of our other reps was with us, and I said, listen, here's, here's how it works here at this show. Uh, it's, for the most part, that show uh, has uh, discount tobacco outlets that are there. Uh, they, there's a huge head shop clientele that's there. Uh, they are looking for either trust brands and names that they know or cheap bundles. Uh, we don't fit either of those categories right there. So I said, at this show, we're going to have our existing customers that are here, they're attending the show. We will do business with them. We will have the customers that, that the potential customers that walk up and either say, I love your cigars. How do I bring them in? Or I am so sick and tired of my customers asking for your cigars. How do I bring them in? And we sit and we talk, we tell them what our minimums are. And I run through it and I not only explain to them, 
you know, how we do things, but more importantly, why we do things and that we are in the brand building phase of our company, not in the volume phase of our company. And if they want to be on board and want to get behind that and they understand that and they're willing to hit the minimums, Steve has the thought process that if you're spending money to come to a trade show, you're willing to invest and you want to come there, we'll move you towards the top of the list and not put you at the back of the pile and bring you on board. The third person that walks up to the booth is the, I never heard of you, Dumbarton, what is that? And I say, Thank you very much. We have a new account freeze. Here's a paperwork. If you'd like to submit your licenses, you can get it on into the company and we start to open things up and we'll have a follow-up conversation later. But if they don't know what it is, then they I, I don't want them to bring it on board because uh, <clears throat> I've told people that as, as we've been doing this for a very long time in a lot of different levels and we have a plan on what we want to get to and we're sort of sticking to our plan and it has worked so far knock on wood has worked very well for us um i'm i'm not willing to take someone's thousand dollar pity order to jeopardize what my brand does in the marketplace because they also if it doesn't work for them they then badmouth the brand and that to me there's no reason there's no reason to do it so with my brokers um one of the reasons of not going in-house besides just sort of being a smaller a smaller company uh i am not going to bring someone in to be in-house and have the dedicated salary and the payroll and the benefits and the expenses of the travel for someone and at the same time tell them i'm not just going to allow you or you don't have the direction yet to get out there and just open up all doors so when it comes to some some of my some of our brokers uh they get it. They understand it. Luckily, the brand does well enough that they are okay with having those guardrails that are there with saying, you can't, you can't do this. But that being said, I also tell them, if you think an account would be very good for us and you want to have the conversation, let me know about the account. We will discuss it. And then I will give you your marching orders on whether you should still go and do this or the next time I'm riding with you, I'd like to go in, I'd like to meet them. I'd like to see it. Uh, and that is sort of the, the big difference with how we are doing things currently. Um, but eventually, you know, we do want to get the brand. We have the conversation of what's most important to us is what that, you know, bottom a making incredible cigars and two, what that bottom right corner on the spreadsheet looks like, like, what is that number? You know, how much, how much is enough? What is the size? Like if you could be a 10 or $12 million company and your bottom right, you know, corner is X, or you're a $30 million company, 25 to $30 million company, and the bottom right corner is the same X, then why did you do it? Why did you tax yourself with the extra, you know, dealing with your dealing with your farmers, dealing with your growers, dealing with the box factory, all the extra stress and craziness that goes along with it if you're not actually getting the ROI on it. So we are being very cognizant in what we're doing and how we're getting there. And it's the same thing of certain territories. Um, we have certain territories around the country that sort of run vacant and they're they're running okay and brokers brokers in the cigar business brokers a lot of times they give themselves their own bad name a lot of times like the word like when you say broker you're like <laughs> broker you know and it's just because a lot of we have some very good guys that, that work for us and there are some very good people that are out there there are also a lot of psychopaths uh, who have no idea <laughs> what this job is because they just hang out in shops and smoke cigars and think that's what the job is to hang out in shops and smoke cigars because they just see things on an event night and how fun it is. And they've either, they've either never actually been a sales rep for another company, so they don't know what it entails. They don't specifically know how to do the job, or they work somewhere and got fired out of multiple places because they can't deal with people and they suck and you don't want that person representing your company. Uh, 
and I, I say they're they're kind of a lot of times like a mall security guard that really thinks they're an FBI agent. And it's just you, you, you deal with you deal with a lot of a lot of that. But then you get some other people who are just they're just really great and they're business people and they get it. So let's just just using just using round numbers as an example to, to if if I have a territory that's doing four hundred thousand dollars and there's no one there and I bring a broker on and they want to get paid 10 points, I have to pay that person forty thousand dollars for the year walking through the door for business we already do. So I look at brokers the same way that I look at lobbyists. I'm paying you for your access. If you don't have the access and I have to do the work, then why am I paying you? So they would have to be so exponentially higher of what they could build a territory to, to justify that bottom, bottom line dollars of $40,000 is significant. We, you, you have to do a lot and bring it to the table. So that's sort of where eventually we know if, if, the trajectory where we are, the growth and where we want to be, eventually we'll either have some more people that are there, maybe take a territory to go in-house would make would make sense. Uh, but right now, we're very happy with the way that things are. Do you and Derek, do you and David share any brokers? Not that I'm aware of. Um, I don't think so. I don't believe so. <laughs> so I mean, the, if, you, if, you, if you're selling to Hawaii, everybody uses John Fia. John Fia. <laughs> right. So. We use John Derek, Derek Matthews. <laughs> oh, nice. Well done. I bet that's, I bet that's yeah. a burden for you, Derek. So still in the same way. Good stuff. Uh, so, David, you offer, like we said, you offer a unique perspective too, because you came from, you know, what Miguel operates to. Miguel operates an entire in house operation, with the, I guess, the exception of being John Fia in the state of Hawaii. But, like, um, you know, how was that for you transitioning, you know, from, from an entire in-house sales force or that experience to something where it's completely different? Well, it's funny is when I was with Drew, um, we were still hybrid when I came on board, there were still brokers. So I'm going to let this sink in for a moment. Eric Espinosa was my rep in Florida at a period of time. So managing <laughs> Eric Espinosa is like trying to nail Jello to the wall. It is just frustrating as fuck. It's great. I love Jello. I love Eric. But the idea of managing Eric, you're out of, you're out of your mind. Uh, so coming from, you know, having, you know, we'd have, we'd have some brokers that were there and some in-house. And then Drew eventually became all in-house. Nat Sherman was all in-house uh, when, I, when I was there. So you could, you could be a bit more demanding in, in what you did. You know, if it's your individual person, it's a certain amount of visits. Or with some companies, they want to uh, see a certain amount of new accounts that are opened up or the amount of... Uh, events that you're required to do so you could you could put more um you'd be a little bit more stern when it comes to things um so dealing with brokers you have to take into consideration that they're not your employee uh but it's a very for the most part it's a very respectful interaction with their time and our time and there's certain things that i could make a strong recommendation i'm not telling you you have to go and do this what I'm telling you is I would really like to see this in two weeks. And if I don't see this in two weeks, we're going to have another conversation because it also could mean I'm just going a different direction on this project, but not in a, that's if something just really, really serious that needs to be addressed. And we have, you know, some guys that are just like, I'll, what, what, what do you need? We'll just do this immediately. What, what is it? Like, no, 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 don't, don't rearrange everything. 
but I need this done within two weeks, try and get this taken care of. You need to go by and see so-and-so you need to make this right. You need to figure this out. You need to check on something. I, when you're in this area, I really like you to take care of this. And what we're lucky, the people that we have now are, are very good. I mean, we've had some in, in the past with other companies, you just have, when I would interview people, especially back in the Drew estate days, when I was interviewing people, I would say to them, like, listen, I don't, I don't like firing people. But if I have to fire someone, we have gone through all the different problems that we've had and it just hasn't been able to work out and we'll separate. I said, and it might seem weird that we're having this conversation during the interview because what I got to tell you is what I hate more than firing people is hiring people because we don't work in the same office. You are a thousand miles away from me. I see you once a quarter and it's like I am hiring a nanny for my children, but I'm hiring a nanny for my business because you can do so much damage to my business in such a short period of time. I have to make sure that you are the right person for this. And you, shops will not tell you how terrible someone is until you let them go. And then the floodgates open. And you say, why didn't you let me know there was this problem? Oh, this guy showed up drunk. He was hitting on some so-and-so's wife. He left early. He was selling trunk stock outside. You say, why Why didn't you tell me? And usually they say, well, I didn't be a, want to be a rat. I didn't think you were going to do anything about it. And I also still wanted to have events with your company. And you're like, fuck, man. Like, I needed to know this information. They're like, well, I'm telling you now. I'm like, it's about four months too late. Yeah. Um, and then you have to go in and just do... Uh, go through the territory, try and make amends with everybody and figure out what it is. And you'll have some, some shops that never want to do business with your company again, because this other person screwed up so badly. And you're like, listen, what can I do to make this right? Because yes, they represented the company, but they didn't represent the company. Like that's not what this was. That wasn't us. Uh, So that's, that's the problem. So it's a, it's a double edge. You would get away more with that if somebody had a broker and they don't hold that against you because they really don't have a lot of, respect or whatever it was, or they're pissed off at a lot of different companies. But if they actually work for you, that is on you. That yep. is your that is your mistake. Miguel, I think where you're in a very fortunate position. I know you've had some recent hires to your team, but for the most part, you've had some really long standing representatives that, that have been part of your team, like that even precede your your tenure yep. started. So that's got to be um in a lot of ways, that's got to be incredibly encouraging. And it's also got to, you know, to David's point about having these relationships with, with retailers, you know, you, you've got a really good squad there that have also have maintained those relationships over the years really well, obviously. Yeah. You know, I think that um, when you create an atmosphere um, very positive, you create an atmosphere of a company you want to work with, Um, I think people want to stay on board and I don't, I mean, after all these years in the business, there are phenomenal brokers there are phenomenal in-house guys. There's horrible brokers. There's horrible in-house guys. You know, I I always say our industry is, was into recycling before recycling was cool. Right. Cause you could, you could work for 10 different uh, companies. You know what I mean? But David, you said something early marriages are a lot more fun than divorces. Right. So (laughs) you don't, you, you, you don't look forward to moving on from people, but you try your damnedest to bring on good people to represent your brand. And it is, man. I mean, I'm, I'm tasked with bringing on guys um, that bleed the brand, who believe in the brand, who love the brand. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where um, service, service is very important. 
relationships are very important. So when you bring people on board, uh, you want that. You want to have people that represent your brand uh, in the best way possible. Sometimes a broker, sometimes an in-house guy, right? So everyone uses John Fee in Hawaii. John's a great guy. He's been around a long time. Um, we do have one broker in New York City, uh, Miguel Montañez, and he's a guy who I'll always have on the team as long as he wants to. He's just a good friend. But everywhere else, we're, we're in-house. And I think we're up to, by the end of this year, we'll have six in-house, uh, five or six in-house guys by the end of this year. And and, and like David uh, David said, that it, it's really part of it is how much control you have over that sales individual is really the difference between broker and in-house, right? Our in-house guys we have set goals for them as far as how many accounts we want you to see. But for us, a lot of it's reporting. We, you get to a certain point in growth where data becomes very important in the growth of your company. And so by having the in-house guys, I've just found it a little easier to get back some data and things and build that data, that database of, of product, what goes well, what sells well, Vertolas, all these kind of things. Um, and, and, you know, I think working with in-house guys, um, uh, I've always had, I've had fun with both brokers and in-house guys. I've, I've had great experiences with both and I've had horrible experiences with both. But I think when you put together any kind of sales force, um, it is very personal. Um, obviously we bleed the brands we represent. These brands mean the world to us. We put a lot of love, a lot of work and a lot of our time and energy away from our families and ability these brands. So when someone works for you, regardless of what their title is, a broker, an in-house guy, whatever, you really want to bring people in that, that represent your company better than you want to represent your own company. You're, you're literally babysitting your brand and you want these people to, to be great representation of representatives of your brand. And, and I think the industry is, is, is full of good people. There's a lot of great people in this business and we all all of us, no matter what brand you're representing, we're all carrying a flag. And that flag is the premium cigar industry. And this industry has been going on since the 1800s. And all of us are playing a little role in continuing this incredible culture, this incredible history of tobacco. You know, tobacco is an American product. It's, it's native to the Americas. And it's been in the culture of the founding of this country. Our founding fathers grew tobacco. Tobacco at one time, uh, was considered as valuable as gold overseas. Um, we're all doing our part to make sure that this industry lives and, and thrives for the next generation because we all are invested in seeing this incredible hobby just grow and thrive. We're fighting the FDA. We're fighting uh, local, state, and federal rules, taxation, anti-smoking, and all these kind of things. Um, and all of us just want to do is build fun brands and and, and spend time with our consumers and just do what we do best, and that's break bread and enjoy great cigars with each other. And when you build that sales force, either be brokers or in-house, you're trying to build a culture, a culture of, of inclusion, of this is a, an industry that has always been about inclusion. It's always about bringing people in, women, men, all different types of walks of lives. Um, I always tell the story of, I remember I was in Michigan this is back in my CAO days. And I remember I did an event. At the end of the event, I'm sitting in a lounge with two guys. They both worked for Ford. One worked in the White Tower as an executive, and one guy worked on the line. They both went to high school together, and they both would never see each other at work. They will never cross paths, they said. But they always hung out in the same cigar lounge together. And, and at the end of the day, that's what kind of gets us going every day. And I tell our, my, my in-house guys, you're working directly for us. 
This company is about bringing great product, great uh, experiences to people. And regardless of what you do every day, it's about touching consumers and giving them that experience because we want to make sure that this industry is around for the next two, three, four, five generations. Um, and I think all of us, uh, all of our brands, you know, um, I smoke, uh, you know, uh, Black Label. I smoke Dunbarton Trust. I think we all kind of play in that same uh, boutique, artisanal, craft kind of industry. And there are companies that are a lot bigger than us, but those companies all started very small. You know, Carlos Fuente, who passed away a few years ago, you know, he was rolling cigars uh, in the back of his house in Tampa. You know what I mean? And now look at what Fuente is, this global brand. Um, all of us start somewhere. And um, you know, it, it, no matter what you choose or how you do your sales force, it's about bringing your product that you believe in to as many people as possible to enjoy. Yeah, my wife, tag on to that, Miguel, you know, finding the right people that are the right fit for your company mm -hmm. and for what you believe in and what you do. And a little bit is, is sometimes just saying, you know, good enough isn't good enough. And in this business, a lot of times people are, companies are impatient. And they find someone because they just like, well, we need someone. And I think that that erodes trust with your shops and with your consumers by putting the wrong person in and not waiting to find someone. Who, and yes, sometimes it's like trying to catch lightning in a bottle. But like when <clears throat> when I was in Drew Estate, like Sam Smirkle did Western PA, Ohio and Michigan. Sammy was so perfect for that area and just a great guy and somebody you'd like to hang out with you know, John, had John Hart up in New England and John was just like funny quirky like I couldn't take Sam and put him in New England I couldn't take John and put him in Pittsburgh you know you'd find these these different guys and different gals in different areas of the country and you would find someone that you just like this fits not only can they do the job they understand what the job is but they will get us and they will understand us and they will, as long as we treat them right, they will be happy to be here. Cause so often people just want to be in the industry because a lot of times they, you know, you, you fanboy out or fangirl out when it comes to a certain brand and they want to get in because eventually they want to work for that brand. And they don't realize that uh, the peak behind the curtain of what the brand owners can actually be like, I, I try to explain to people sometimes without shitting on a brand that your relationship and your interaction with that owner, when they are paying you will probably be significantly different than when you're spending $600 at an event and you see them once a year and they're really thrilled to see you when you are the person who was responsible for doing all these different things. They're not your buddy. Like understand like where things are in the hierarchy of things of take a step back. You're, you're there to do your job. Just sort of do your job, get it done. If you need a pat on the back all the time, this is probably going to be the wrong industry for you because this is sales. Like we do live and die on our numbers. There's things that we're expected to do. So getting people that are in that are the right fit, you, I, I think in this business, a lot of times, a lot of companies cheap out as well and don't want to give someone a little extra money to stay as long as they're not using it as a negotiation tactic for it, because that's a scumbag move and you can just go because it's going to happen again. It's not, it's not what it is, but if it's like, Hey, I got another opportunity. It might even be out of the industry. I really want to stay here. I need this. Like, all right, well, do I want to, is it worth it for me to do this versus bring on a new person, training them up, dealing with that, dealing with the shops. Like it just makes sense. But a lot of companies like, no, we're not, we're not paying them $5,000 extra. I'm like, well, it's a hundred dollars a week and they built the territory by, you know, 50% and they're doing all of this. It's a hundred dollars a week. Let's let's, what can we, what can we do here? Where, where can we be at? 
Uh, but yeah. sometimes it's just sort of like this weird line in the sand. Nope, not, not going to do it. You're like, all right, let's, all right, well, let's, let me start looking for replacement now because it's going to, it's going to, somebody's going to get burnt out. They're going to wind up leaving. They're going to do something else. And there's going to be resentment that's there. That's never, that's never any good. Derek, that's, I think you're about to chime in here. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to ask you something. Go ahead, sir, with your, whatever your point you were going to make. I, I was just going to say, take all of that that Miguel and David were just saying, and then realize that if you have a hundred, if you have a pool of a hundred people that might be interested, my estimation is that only maybe two, three, maybe 4% of people can be road dogs, Yep. road dogs. I'm not talking about though, they get out once a week or go do the, I'm talking about, you have to have people who can grind. And a lot of people think they can grind and what they find out. And you find out really quick is that a lot of people can't hack it. So you have all of the part about David was talking about the damage to the brand and, you know, that can happen and, you know, fans of the brand or these different, these different things. So you, you may have a need somewhere and you may have somebody who's really excited to do it, but if they can't hack that being on the road as much, I, I really, I guess I'm, I am nailing, I'm nailing the point home, but that's a, uh, that's huge. And there, I don't think that gets talked about very often. But, but there, on, yeah. On, on top of that is I talked to when, when younger people that work in a shop talk to me about getting on, how do I work for a brand? How do I get in? I said, listen, it, it might be sexy to work for me. It might be sexy to work for Miguel. It might be sexy to work for Pete. I said, you know what's sexy? A 401k. You know what's sexy? Be with a bigger company that has other possible. I said, if you're looking at this as a job, yeah, it's a great job. If you're looking at it as a career, what happens is you hire somebody as a rep and they're 25 or 26 years old and they're road dogs and they are out there and they love it. And they love everything about it. They love being out there on the road. They love doing events and they're doing it. And then they get a serious relationship. And then they're 27, 28, 29 years old. And then they get engaged and they're still on the road and it's still okay. And they still like it. And they're still doing this. And they're the local rep and they're 30 and then they get married and their wife's kind of okay with them being on the road. There's other obligations. Their husband's okay with them being on the road, but they might be a little bit of, Hey, what's going on. And then they have a child. And I tell people when they're having a kid, I said, your world is about to change. And that's a good thing. But in this business, you lose a lot of people because once it gets to that and it gets to that stage and if they are, if they have younger kids and there's soccer practice and there's all these other things that, that other families can do that they can't do because they're on the road, everything they loved about the job, they hate about the job, I mean, visceral hate about the job. And you lose really good people if there's no other position you can put them into. And if they are... Mm -hmm honest with themselves where they are in that place in their life they would never apply for a job that they have right then and there they would never just say oh i think this would be a great fit for me and if you're a smaller company and don't have these other things they can do you don't have european thing where they can go and work and whatever they can they can work out of an office or they can be they could be local you you lose really good people because there aren't these other opportunities for them and yeah of course you it, it's your family like that is the most important thing in your in your world so that is where you wind up losing a lot of people yeah you I know, think build, a, okay go ahead Miguel, please yeah just to build on that real quick uh I, you know when people ask me hey you know how do i get into business how you know i always tell guys i said and they'll always come to me ladies and guys and they'll say hey i love cigars i'm passionate i can tell you all the fillers the binders the wrappers i always tell guys if you want my honest opinion the first thing I look for in a salesperson 
is, are you a salesperson? Are you into sales? Do you understand what sales are? Do you know, getting out there, being able to sell a product and help move a product. That's number one for me. Number two is, are you a self-motivator? You know, uh, Derek mentioned earlier about the grind. This job, you don't, there is no clock in and clock out, right? You have to get up every morning. Sometimes it's your own bed. Sometimes it's a hotel. Can you get up and can you get yourself motivated every day to get out there, shake hands, put it on? And then number three or number four is how much do you love cigars? What are your knowledge about cigars? Because I think all of us can teach uh, tobacco. We can teach cigars. We can teach about that, right? But it's those combination of those things. Are you a salesman? Do you embrace that part? Like my father was a salesman. My brother's a salesman. I'm a salesman. I love sales. That's what I've done my entire life since I was just 16 years old. And now I'm in my 40s. This is what I love. If you're not into sales, if you have a hard time selling, this industry is not for you. If you are, if you need to be able to clock in and clock out or, or, or you know, you're held to that, man, I better get to work every day on time or my boss is going to see me. That doesn't exist in this business, right? And so all of that and, and your passion for this product, all three of those is what I look for in a perfect sales guy or gal. And I, and I would don't want to speak for Derek or David, but I would imagine it's very similar. We want salespeople who are self-motivated and who are passionate about the industry. Those are the most important things because you can be passionate about the industry, but if you hate traveling or you hate the word no, or you hate the, you know, the, the hard sell sometimes. You hate to make the ask. If you don't know yeah. to make the ask, if you don't know that before you leave to take a look in the humidor and just be like, I saw that you're out of this, this, and this, do you want me to get that for you? Like as simple, like we say, sometimes the, the, the hardest, the hardest part of the job, the easiest part of the job is just making the ask, you know, it's yes, not yeah. just about you come into the shop, hang out, smoke a cigar for an hour, then walk back out the door and be like, well, if they needed something, they tell me like you didn't go in, you didn't check your facings. You didn't police up your area to make sure that it's clean, that it looks good, that you're not on a floor. You're not a, you're not a, whatever. Like this is, this is part of the job. Like if that's not, if that's not in your mind that you know, to basically clean your room, uh, it's, it's difficult. Yeah, These that's are one of the most valuable things you can learn as a, as a salesman, you know, as, or salesperson is that you, what you'll find is if you do that with that retailer, you go in and you're doing your job the right way. Nine times out of 10, they'll go, oh, I, I didn't know I was out of royalty Coronas. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll take four boxes of that, you know, order, you know, just a, a simple refill order. Um, yeah. So. yeah, I think it's there's, there's a lot of things. Miguel, you just kind of list off criteria and I'm sitting here thinking I'm like. Cause I've, I've actually been, I've actually been approached by a couple of companies before about working for them as a rep. And well, again, to everyone's point, that sounds cool and everything. And like, I love cigars. I, I, I probably check every box on that, including the grinder that Derek's talking about. But my problem is, is I have a family, I have yeah. a family that I, that I, I don't want to miss those practices that David was talking about. I don't want to miss those things. And that's, that's a crucial part. And that's why I know to say no to that. Yeah. And it's it's not that I couldn't do a great job for any of y'all or any of the other brands out there, and the, like the 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 two companies that have offered me a job in the past. It's it's the fact that first of all, it'd be disrespectful because I wouldn't be able to give them what they what they need. And as fast as they would hire me, I'm pretty sure that I would be fired. Not because they didn't like me or didn't I wasn't good at my job and I'm not good at sales. It's that I don't want to miss those things. And that's very important. And that's a cultural distinction. Miguel, you talked about culture. And I wanted to bring you in on this, Derek, because, you, again, you guys have a very unique culture. And James and I have spoken about this a couple of times during uh, my opportunities to interview him. I mean, you all have a, an identity around it. You know, we are black sheep. And and that I've I've really 
I've really been an admirer of the the culture that you guys have built at, there at Black Label because of this mantra and everything. But that in itself, that the people, the the you're, again, you're looking for exact people, like you said, you're looking for those road dogs that you uh, said a moment ago and everything. Talk a little bit. Of, I'm interested to hear about the culture that you've built in the time that you've been there and how you've kind of taken that mantra and built that around the identity of the people that you've identified that meet that criteria. Yeah, well, what I've found is that, you know, not everybody is like, I don't have sleeves. I don't, you know, I don't wear a lot of big jewelry and things. And, I, you know, a lot of our branding and things like that speaks to that crowd as a consumer. Um, but not to say that those, the, the funny thing is I was at an event last night and somebody was asking me your, your branding, it seems is it's geared to the youth and this and that. And I said, well, you, you could argue that, but let me show you some pictures of the event I was at the night before. And I'm standing there with a guy who's been to our factory twice. He's 75 years old, you know, a straight cut. You wouldn't think that he would be from the looks of it. Right. So the branding aspect is important, but more to your point there is I'm looking for people who are black sheep in their own way. Like we have like, you know, our broker up in New England, Gus, he, he, you know, he is his own animal. And that's, he's a black sheep unto himself. Coy down in the Southeast, he is the right guy for that territory. Speaking to David's point earlier, you know, about who fits where. So, I mean, for me, it's not so much about, oh, you need to wear this and you need to look a certain way. It's more about, can you stand out and be a true representative who people will remember you for who you are to us. That's what a black sheep is. And, and, Do you and have an identity? Goss, Goss, he's a great example. He was a retailer. I mean, he worked in a cigar mm-hmm. shop. I remember selling him cigars and he was a guy who transitioned from being a retail merchant to the broker side. I believe he's a broker, right? Yeah. Broker. Yeah. And, and he's done an incredible job. He's created an image for himself. He's, he's done a great job. And you know, that doesn't always translate, right? Um, it doesn't always translate for this guy to go there or this person to move to this position, but he's a great example of a person who cut his teeth at the retail level and has now um, really created a great name for himself. And, and on that, on that standout sort of thing, you know, we have another broker that used to work for Ashton for many years. So it's on the, you would think that's as far away from us as you could get. It's not because he has his own way. He's known for his own, you know, personality and uniqueness and the retailers and consumers really respond to it. And, you know, that's the, that's where something like, you know, David and Miguel and myself getting out on the road with these guys and watching them in action, it, that's, that's where you really know there's no more, you don't have to worry about being a thousand miles away. It's so important for us to be on the road too. And that's, that's one of the, that's another motivating factor is why I'm out of the VA. I need to be here in Tampa right now. I need to be, you know, in, in Arizona next week, two weeks, you know? Yeah. So Derek, Derek, you're probably like, I'm sure David, Derek, we're, we're all like platinum members of all the other, other hotel chains that we go to, you know, and, and, um, and I think with Derek and, and David, and, and I know for myself last month, I was in my own bed five nights. That's including weekends. Sometimes, you know, how do you ask your sales guys to do things you're not willing to do? So I'm willing to get out there. I'm willing to spend a lot of time on the road. And, and luckily my wife, we're celebrating 21 years this December. She met me and I was already a sales guy. And, and so that's all we've ever known. Right. And, and, I think that when you find those those people, they can create such an incredible experience in this industry and a great job. I'm very blessed. I work for Crown Heads, 
and we're very much family forward kind of company. So when we have company dinners, we we ask the sales guys, you want to bring your wife in for that? Um, I bring my wife and kids to the trade show every year. Obviously, they're not on the floor, but I'm very blessed in that sense that although I'm not home very much, um, I'm able to include my family in what I've done for the last 21 years of, of this industry. So yeah. And, yeah. And- my wife comes to me with the show. She, she's in the booth. She helps me at home That's all awesome. the time. You know, so you have to, if you can't be with them all the time, you have, you do have to figure out how are you going to make it work? I've been, I've been blessed in that way. And it sounds like you have too. And David, I hope, I hope that's the same for you. Yeah. She's, she actually likes me to be away. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that that, that works. It works. works. Hey, you know, David, David, you know, you talk about, she likes to have you. Well, the pandemic was, uh, I was scared because I had never been home that much in my life. And, and my wife was going to, for the first time in our marriage, was going to deal with me day in and day out, every day in the house. And uh, luckily, everything worked out. But I feel you, David. Sometimes this, she's this, like, aren't it time for you to get on the road, buddy? This, this townhouse got very small. With she and I, two kids, and uh, at the time, a dog, this townhouse got very small. <laughs> it was uh, interesting. But yeah, no, she, I, my, my, wife, my wife is very New York. Uh, she just is. And I, I, I explain her to people and, and, uh, I said, sometimes it sounds like I'm running her down, but I'm not. I said, she's, she's good, but she's good for me. I said, she will pick the thorns out of my paws, but she will also swap me on the nose with a newspaper when I'm being a bad dog. Like That's it is awesome. just, we have our own sort of, uh, thing. She's, she's a professional. She does her job. She's, uh, my wife's in parks and recreation. Uh, she had, they have the largest, uh, uh, pool in the county. She's got a hundred lifeguards that report to her. Like the summertime, it is hair on fire, constantly busy, right? Running soccer leagues, everything else that goes along with it. So she has plenty of stuff on her plate. Uh, and there'll be certain times that I'll be home. She's like, when are you, when are you getting on the road again? Like, don't worry soon, soon. I got, a, I got a trip. I got a trip planned <laughs> up, you know, but it's, it's, it's all, it's all good. But yesterday, you know, it was my, uh, 50th birthday yesterday. So we went into the city, uh, her daughter had a, a bat mitzvah to go to. It's a weird thing about living outside of New York City is you wind up going in quite a bit. Uh, you know, we we joke that it's on people around the world. It's on their bucket list to make it into New York just once. And we just bitch about how much traffic it is to get into the city. So we went out last night, you know, brought, brought a daughter to that. Her daughter stayed at a friend's house. And then we uh, had a great meal at the uh, Bazaar because uh, Jose Andreas opened a Bazaar in, uh, in oh, New York City awesome. about a month ago. So oh, nice. a great, great meal last night. And then sort of looking at the calendar of, where I'm going and booking out. So one of the, one of the saving graces that I've used for probably 15 years now is an app that I recommend to all sales guys. Uh, it's called TripIt. And with TripIt, when you book your flights, you book your hotel rooms, you just forward the email to TripIt and it populates all that stuff in the calendar. And my wife has the app on her phone. So she can just open her phone and see where all my things are. And I can open the phone and say, oh, I haven't booked a rental car for this one yet. Oh, there's a, I missed, there's a gap in a day here. Hey, I thought this was supposed to be this day. And it's, it's all in there. So she has full access. I, I'm very lucky that she uh, isn't jealous or any of that stuff of being on the road. I, I got 23 years sober. I don't spend nights out hanging out, drinking in bars or carousing or doing anything like that. So she trusts me. But for a lot of people, they would not be able, their spouses would not be able to handle the jobs that we do. And part of it, you know, we, we do it to ourselves as we do so much stuff on social media is part of what we do and how we promote that. It just looks like we're out partying and so many, you know, especially on the rep level, it, it, it's, you know, 
when they're away from the family, they're away from the kids and they just, you know, their spouse sees them out in whatever surrounded by people. It's like, you don't want to be here. You don't want to be with us. You're just out doing this. So it's like, no, no, no. Like I'm very lucky for, to have the, the wife that I, the wife that I have to understand my life and what it is. And then my, my kids and my granddaughters about three hours away back in Rhode Island. So I try and get to see them about every six weeks ago or so and spend some, spend some time with them. And I've gotten lucky that we've had some more accounts come on in the new England, specifically the Rhode Island area. So they wanted to do an event that I'll come and I'll do an event and then I'll go to my granddaughter's soccer game or some, some things around it. So it, it, it works out well. It's part of the, some of the perks of being a little uh, higher on the food chain is being able to plan your own, your own things and get some stuff in that you enjoy when you're on the road. You said about being in right. Arizona. Lafferty's I, a grandfather of three, and I got a fourth one on the way at an 11 year old. So one time, one time I was uh, years ago. It was it was uh, it was a uh, almost 11 years ago. It was when all the different web catalog companies were in this like crazy race to the bottom, price fights and all that shit. And I was like United Nations going between the three in Pennsylvania and Jersey and trying to get everybody on board, bring your prices like everybody's losing here. Stop doing this. And I brought everybody on board. And then about a month later, one of them went with this crazy discount, blah, 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 and all this stuff. And I went and I sat and I'm like, listen, we all talked about this. Why are you doing this? And he just, he said something very flippant and disrespectful. And I puffed on my cigar. And I said, you should buy my granddaughter a very nice gift. She wears a 5T and she likes Doc McStuffins. And he said, what? I said, the only reason I don't fucking choke you out right now is because I don't want her visiting me through glass. 5T, <laughs> Doc McStuffins. He said, is it that bad? I said, it's that bad. We should probably start back at the beginning. And everybody got back <laughs> on board. But I'm like, I said, people are happy to laugh. He's a grandfather and, you know, you know, lives a peaceful life. You know, it's uh. <laughs> <laughs> the craziness of what we all deal with. Doc McStuffins is great, just for the record, for anyone oh, else. Magnificent. <laughs> and now she's 11 and uh, middle school, and it's crazy. Oh, God. Yeah. Not looking forward to that. I got two boys. Um, so we've got a couple more questions, guys. Thank you so much. This has been great discussion so far. We're going to go a couple more questions along the way, but we got to do a quick, take a quick sponsor break. Uh, and this is our presidential trivia segment, which is always brought to you by United Cigars, featuring La Gian Havana, distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, the Firecracker, and the highly acclaimed Out of Bay, Byron, and now Alfonso lines from Selected Tobacco. Smoke one today and start living united. Uh, Miguel doesn't know this. Uh, Per se, but this uh, this segment uh, and my love of presidential trivia was inspired by our initial conversation and initial meeting years ago when his first appearance on this show. So it's kind of cool that I still get to do this segment and uh, that any time Miguel gets to be a part of it. So uh, this is multiple choice, gentlemen. So don't worry about it. Uh, no one's got to write an essay or anything like that about uh, the you know uh, you know pre uh, agri agricultural utopia of the uh, thirteen original colonies or anything like that. So. <laughs> Uh, three presidents, three U.S. presidents have actually died on our nation's independence day. So, again, happy belated birthday to our friend Dave Lafferty here. Uh, three presidents have died on July 4th, the birthday of our nation, but only one president was actually born on July 4th. So here are your choices. Was it A, Dwight D. Eisenhower, B, James Garfield, C, Calvin Coolidge, D, George W. Bush, or E, William Henry Harrison, who is the only president to have been born on our nation's birthday, July 4th? And I'll kick things off with Are you. Taking Dave. 
Yes. Garfield. Dave. Garfield. David says Garfield. That's who I was going to go with B. Garfield. Miguel. Garfield, uh, a president from the state of Ohio. There's a great statue of him in downtown Cincinnati. Um, I am not going to go with Garfield. I am going to go Harrison. with um, well, ha- William Henry Harrison. Although he wasn't born in Ohio, he's looked at as an Ohio president. He was our shortest president uh, as far as uh, service goes to the mm-hmm. country. Um, I'm going to go uh, with the with the crook. I'm going to go with Richard M. Nixon. He wasn't, wasn't a, that was it wasn't a choice. Oh, oh, what was it? Oh, what was Dwight, Dwight D. Eisenhower, James Garfield, Calvin Coolidge, George W. Bush, or William Henry Harrison? Uh, I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna God, I'm gonna go when I'm gonna go William Henry Harrison just because he's another Ohio guy. Garfield's an Ohio guy, but I'm gonna go William Henry Harrison, whose grandson, Benjamin Harrison, became president as well. That's true. That's absolutely lemonade, true. Lemonade Lucy, his wife, she would not allow alcohol in the White House. So she was nicknamed Lemonade Lucy. That's true. Absolutely. Um, so actually, the only president to have been born on July 4th was Calvin Coolidge. I thought that's what you're going to guess, Miguel, when you went with like crook. Silent Cal. Calvin Coolidge was born on July 4th. He's the only president to be born. George W. was close. He was born actually on July 6th. So um, that... Uh, that that's an interesting piece of trivia. I think it's actually pretty cool, you know, over like just over almost 50 presidents that we've had in our history, almost 50 presidents, only one has actually been born. The the fact that three of them actually died on July 4th is actually even interesting. Two of them were died within minutes of each other, Mr. Yeah. John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. Uh same same day they died on July 4th and uh James Monroe was actually the third, so some of our founding fathers. But uh um James Madison actually tried to hold up when he was on when he was uh, on the when he was on his uh, his last few days and everything. He tried to he tried to hold out to July Fourth, but he didn't quite make it. So, was there a movie called Born on the Fourth of July as well? Yes, Tom Cruise. Yes. Tom Cruise. Yeah, Tom Cruise. Yes. Yeah. Ron Kovic. Ron Kovic. Yeah. For the, a... v, for the VA guy right here. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey now. <laughs> great. Um, that's a great movie. It's a great film. Love it. Um, yeah, Silent Cal was the uh, was the, was the lone president to be born on July fourth. Um, but uh, I was interested, like, why uh, why did you guys go with Garfield? Just curious. Just a shot in the dark, or what, did you have did you have shot in the dark? It was the second one. It was B. It was Garfield. It sounded about right. It struck the, uh, a tone in my mind. I said, "Oh, I the others didn't sound uh, didn't didn't jump out." Garfield did. Nice. I, I, I totally guessed. I like lasagna. Name. I totally guessed the name Garfield before you gave the options. So when he became one of the choices, I stuck with it. There you yeah. go. Just wrote it. Just wrote it in. Well, if you guys ever get up to um, to go see Tony Bellotto up in that part of Ohio, not far from where his stores are, is the uh, Garfield um, Monument and Library up there. Is there a skyline nearby? There definitely skyline. is a skyline yeah, so around. I would guess. Yeah, yeah. Some people are into history. Some people are into chilly. Yeah. <laughs> When's uh, what's the over? I'm putting the over under at uh, at four days since the last time we've had skyline chilly, Miguel. Where where did I fall? You know, our family has it almost every Sunday. Today we did not, but usually every Sunday we make Cincinnati chili here in the good old state of Florida. Nice. So last so last Sunday, I take it. Last Sunday. Okay. So. Nice. Um, the um, with the with the uh, 
I, I think uh, James, James Garfield, I was actually, I visited his gravesite too. And he, he was buried in, he's buried in Cleveland. Uh, mm-hmm. Interesting enough. So his, his footprints all over that state. I think it's, it's really sad. You know, his, his, his presidential term also got cut short because of his assassination and everything. It would have been really interesting to find out what kind of president he would have been. Cause I think his mark on history would have been a lot greater. Unfortunately, he was the second president assassinated and that's kind of what he's only famous for, which is just sad. And, and, you know, I mean, but that ushered in Teddy Roosevelt, you know what I mean? And that, yes. and, and Teddy had the, one of the biggest influences on our country uh, than any president alive. So, um, Teddy at the time was the youngest. McKinley, right? You're talking about McKinley? Oh, I'm sorry. My guy was McKinley. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. But Garfield, uh, sorry, go back to Garfield, is um, uh, these guys, it's such a small club that of people that have been presidents that to me, that's what makes presidential history so interesting is that mm-hmm. it's such a small group of people that have had that honor uh, of representing the greatest country on, on earth. And uh, to learn about their lives is, is quite interesting, you know, like we've had two Catholic presidents, you know what I mean? Or just weird kind of little things like that. You know, I, those are fun. Yeah, definitely. Interesting. Well, that was our presidential trivia segment brought to you by United Cigars, featuring La Gian Havana, distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, the highly acclaimed Atabay, Byron, and now Alfonso lines from Selected Tobacco. Smoke one today and start living united um so i uh, this is you know today is october 1st it is the start of my birthday month uh and uh you know this this next segment was uh, started on my birthday uh three years ago miguel was a part of that show when we launched our charity segment and what i've done in the past is i've always asked my guests to select a charity or nonprofit of their choosing to spotlight uh, but for this month, I've actually decided to change it up a little bit. We are going with a month-long uh, fundraising um, effort for Canines for Warriors. Um, and uh, Canines for Warriors is a, is a fantastic organization that I've been very passionate about for the last few years. It was actually the first uh, ever charity that was selected for the show. Um, it's something I believe in very deeply. Um, they, they train, um, you know, companion animals for, uh, for veterans, um, that, uh, suffer from a variety of ailments that, um, everything from, you know, a loss of limb to, you know, mental disorders and everything. And it's, it's, it's been proven that, and, you know, Derek, I know you can obviously shed a light on this under, under the fortunate statistic, you know, that it's, you know, 22, we lose 22 veterans a day. Uh, to suicide and it's just one of those horrific things um that's just uh, an unfortunate part of our society and uh you know if we can provide a better life for our for the people who serve this country um that in you know a lot of times you know i i know that my my for my father's own sake you know my father's a veteran and he is health health has been declining over the years and everything but when we lost when he lost the family dog um, that's when the dementia and Alzheimer's really took over and he completely went downhill and it's, you know, it's cause he didn't, he didn't have anyone anymore. You know, m- mom's still around obviously too, but that was a big part of his life, his day to day. And he had purpose. And, and uh, so these, these wonderful animals give, you know, these veterans hope and a purpose and companionship. And uh, you know, a lot of times they feel alone and they don't have to when they have uh, these wonderful animals. So it's a great organization. Uh, I posted uh, in the chat, uh, the website, and this will obviously be in the show notes as well uh, that you guys can uh, check out and uh, please do and everything. Um, 
Derek, I know I'm, I'm springing this on you. I'm putting you on the spot. Did, have you, are you familiar with Canines for Warriors? Uh, did the VA, did you guys ever partner with any programs that uh, like Canines for Warriors perhaps that maybe uh, that worked with uh, some of the veterans? So I, I don't know that we've necessarily partnered with that organization. I'm not saying we haven't. What I do know is my role at the VA was working with um, geriatrics. So, you know, a lot of patients with Alzheimer's type dementia um, and, yeah, you know, you see it, whether it be, you know, a, a companion, some a person, I don't want to compare a person and an animal, but a purpose is really is really the point. What I was starting to get into right before I left a lot was having to research, you know, the different levels of service animals versus, you know, a companion versus an emotional support animal. And I, I think that they all have uh, wonderful um, roles to play uh, in, it, in a, any person's life. But we didn't, uh, there's a lot of misinformation right now, people thinking that they can take emotional support animals in places they can't. But if you have an organization that's doing anything to better a veteran's life, I'm about it. I'm, I'm in full support of it. So I think that's great that you're, you know, sponsoring that. And um, I'll be interested to check out the link that you have up on your page and learn a little bit more about that organization, because I don't know that much about it. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great organization, something I've been really been following and, and, and pushing for a long time, just because I love animals too. Um, you know, my, my dog, Molly, she's right here next to me. She's been uh, next to me since I got her over a year ago. And and before that, it was, uh, it was my dog of, of, of 17 years. It was always by my side too. So, I mean, um, so I'm very passionate about animals and also about, and uh, with my father's, um, my father's situation, obviously I'm very passionate about veterans in this country. And, um, they're, you know, it's a great way to combine those two, those two loves in my life. So it's, 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 like I said, it's a great organization and everything. So thank you gentlemen for letting me uh, talk about it for a little bit. Um, before we hop back into a little bit of our discussion, and everything, which has been fantastic. Uh, I did smoke the rest of the Bishop's Blend Novialis. Uh, fantastic, Derek. Thank you so much for choosing that for me. Um, it's absolutely, it was absolutely sensational. So, uh, smoked that thing. I was burning my fingertips there at the end and everything. It was so, it was well, so good. I'm glad. Glad you like it, man. Yeah, it was stellar. Absolutely stellar. Uh, so, David, since you were the next closest to uh, on the picking order, um, I have a Sin Compromiso, a Brulee Blue, a Home 2021 from Dissident, Le Carême uh, Bella Costa Finos uh, 2022 LE from Crowned Heads, and a Four Kicks Mule Kick LE 2022 as well. So what's the next cigar I'm going to light up? Sin Compromiso number five, because I'm a total four and will push my brand any moment possibly given. And think that you will probably, your palate will be overwhelmed uh, after what you just finished smoking. Uh, you will miss the subtle nuances that are in there of a creamy, nutty cigar. Uh, uh, mild to medium, delicious, limited uh, production model that's out there. It's, it's only the best. Uh, but that's why you should go with the Sin Compromiso number five, which I think you will also uh, enjoy. Fantastic. So I'll light that up now. Dang, and Miguel, Miguel's, Miguel's been on nine times and you've been able to smoke a lot of his stuff. So he can <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fair point. And just, so while, I mean, while you're lighting that up, Miguel can tell us about the hat that he's wearing. It's a pretty cool hat. Miguel, if you want to talk about it. <laughs> well, I, I wanted to state that uh, Sin Compromiso is one of the coolest names in the cigar brand. Um, it's so funny. You know, I, I do think there's a lot of people out there who may not know the, what that means without compromise. And I always thought that was a great name for a cigar. So kudos to, uh, to, uh, 
the uh, the man over there for coming up with that name. That's a great name for a cigar. But I'm rocking a hat that my wife and I, we started a company called Edencia, H-E-R-E-N-C-I-A 21. Uh, Instagram website, it's a cigar blog. It's a hat company. It's a pin company. Just something we do for fun. And we make hats inspired by Latin American baseball. So just something we love. A lot of snapbacks and uh, all the good stuff. So I'm a hat guy. Uh, you know, Crown Heads, we make a lot of hats. John Huber is a big hat guy. And I'm a hat guy, so we both kind of feed into our our hat habits, if you will. Um, it's kind of neat. Very nice. And that's also in the chat as well, Miguel. And that'll be in the show notes too. Uh, I have uh, I've I've purchased the Estados Unidos hats personally, uh, and uh, the next one on the order is the one that you're wearing. I want to get the Dominican Republic one. It's fantastic. Uh, I don't really have any ties to Colombia, but I love the colors. Obviously, the the colors of the flag that's with the yellow and blue. That one just yeah. pops. I really like it. Um, and then you guys have an all black. You guys do a, you have a black outline too, which is you know really neat for people who like uh, love the classic one to rock the classic black and white. There's some really great selection there too. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it, man. It's just you know we all have uh, cigars are my hobby and baseball caps are my hobby, and it's just a way to kind of merge the two together and have a little fun, you know. Perfect. So as I light up my scene compromiso, thank you, David. Um, wanted to kind of go back to our discussion that we were talking about uh, with just the positions that you guys are in within the industry, obviously. Um, but speaking of cigars specifically, you know, like obviously, you know, you guys have an entire portfolio of brands and cigars that you're that you're represented and you yourselves are pushing uh, to retailers and everything. Um, managing and handling new releases as they come out, you know, we this, I mean, it comes up on a weekly basis on this show. And for you guys, I'm sure it is a daily diatribe that you find yourself in the what's new, what's new, what's new discussion, but what's old is, is still obviously moving and it's paying, it's, you know, it's keeping the lights on and everything and then keeping people genuinely interested in older product, but also pushing new product too, in a variety of different ways. So I thought it'd be an interesting discussion to talk about the challenges of handling new releases, as well as balancing it out with the existing portfolio. And uh, as we kind of go around the room here for this point of the discussion, I'd also like to ask what you guys are smoking. I negate the neglected to ask that at the beginning. I apologize. Um, so, you know, uh, Miguel, the, the the big one for you guys this this year was uh, the La Vareda, which I believe you were smoking at the top. I might have been mis I might be misinformed, but this is a this is a completely new offering from Crown Heads, something we haven't seen before. So I'll let you talk about that. But just in overall, the challenge yeah. of handling a new release. You know, I think at the at the end of the day, you've got to have a strong core line. Uh, that that's the backbone of your company, and for us, that's the Mildias, the Lampuriosa, the Jericho Hills. Those are the staples that are always available. Um, I do think there's a mixture of 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 why we release new things, right? Retailers are always asking about new product because consumers are asking about new product, and I think that goes across the board. It could be in the beer company, it could be in the fashion industry, it could be in anything that you do. Um, talking about hats, you know, spring training, they come with a new design every year. It's just part of the creative process, right? John uh, Huber, who does all of our, um, uh, you know, picks out all the blends and all the designs and all the names. They're very creative guys. Uh, Sock is a very creative guy. James Brown's a very creative guy. And how do you keep those creative juices going, right? Because Lampiriosa is a staple for us. Mill Diaz is a staple for us. So 
how do you kind of bring your creativity? And part of that is our LEs and new releases, working with new tobaccos, working with tobaccos that uh, maybe you haven't been able to get your hands on in a large quantity. But it's really about trying to find a product that you feel, uh, one, that you believe in, that you love, either it be an LE or new core line, and wanting to share that with the consumers, with the people that are enjoying your product and bringing them new, new exciting things to smoke, new different cigars to try out. And that's one way we expand our palate. And, and, and so it's trying to balance that, making sure that a retailer has core product that can be available all year long, keeping that product consistent. And then within that, adding in some fun new things um, that can bring people back in. I, I have many of my retailers always say, Miguel, you guys come out with a lot of different LEs throughout the year. And the positive feedback we'll get is a guy a guy will come in and say, hey, what's new? What's this new LE? While they're there, they're picking up the LE and they're picking up some of the core line. You know, part of getting people through those doors to those retailers is not only your core product, but getting them on some of this exciting, fun, limited edition stuff. And for us, it's very well thought out. You know, these projects are usually a year, two years in the making. Um, it's about trying to create something fun and create something that you believe the consumer will enjoy and get and get a thrill out of smoking. And working with our sales guys about making sure that they touch everybody, that they're reaching out to the retailers. They're giving those retailers an opportunity to either pre-order or order that product. I know Lafferty, I, I follow you very closely. You guys do a great job when it's, hey, this is what I've got. If you want it, reach out to your retailers, let them know. Um, because consumers ultimately drive our industry, right? If you have some great core lines, do you really need LEs? Well, LEs kind of add a little fun and a little, little excitement to the industry. Um, and really getting your sales guys to make sure that they're teaching, they're reaching out to all the retailers and you're giving the retailer a product that you believe that consumers will enjoy, that will come back and buy and support their retail and ring that register. Um, that's kind of a long, there's a we could talk about it for hours, but that's kind of how we lay it out is finding a product. We believe that a consumer will enjoy and that a retailer will enjoy as well. Um, I'm smoking a Lavaretta. It's one of our new core lines. Um, this particular product that we have, it's uh, the product that the tobacco is aged uh, three to four years before we ultimately use this tobacco from Ernesto Perez Carrillo. And this isn't a product that we make a ton of, right? There's only so many cigars you can roll a month when you're working with particular types of tobaccos, especially this really well-aged tobacco. I mean, I would argue that most core brands that are on the shelf are using tobacco that's a year to two years old. So when you're using anything that's three, four, or five or older, it is actually much rarer. I think a lot of people, a lot of consumers may think that tobacco is sitting around for 10 or 20 or 30 years. But it, the reality is that when you create a product, you want to make sure that that product is something you believe in and you believe your retailers will benefit from selling and that consumers will enjoy as well. Um, that's just a very broad view of, of product. And for us, Lavaretta is something that We've never done before. It's a really well-aged tobacco. It's three, four, five years old um, before we even roll the cigar. And it sits an extended amount of time in the aging room before we release it. So it was our opportunity to bring something unique and using Ernesto Perez Carrillo's oldest tobacco that he has, that he usually holds for himself. He was able to open that up to us this past year for us to work on this project. And so far, so good. It's not a project for every shop. It's not a cigar for Every smoker, but it's definitely something um, that we really believed in and a cigar that we loved and we wanted to bring out to the consumers. And so far, it's been a very, very positive response. Um, and as you talk to the other guys, I think our job is that this product 
the owners of our companies, the people that work and create these projects, I always tell my sales guys, they've done their job. They've created a product. They've worked hard on this product. Now it's our job to get it out to the masses, to introduce it to people. And that's really what our job is as sales guys is to take this creative product and share it with the masses. And if we've done our job, then it gets into people's hands. They enjoy it. They smoke it. They blog about it. They tweet about it. And uh, they Instagram about it. And we're just building a strong community with these new product releases. Um, you know, we have something coming out in March. The trade show went from July to March. And so we, we've already got the cigar that we've been working on. We've been working on that for a year and a half. More, more info to come later on that. But I think all of us are in that, in that pot where all three of our brands have great core products. But also we do some LEs and some fun projects as well. I, th- I think one of the one of the reasons why you know consumers think that there's so much uh, aged tobacco that's that's around at all these different cigars is because they've been lied to over the years. You know, Dave Lafferty, I got to tell you, I rem- I always bring this story up to people. I remember reading an article. I believe it was aficionado, and they interviewed Old Man Oliva when he was alive, and they were shocked that the Cameroon wrapper that he was using on his regular like O line or whatever was seven, eight, 10 years old or something like yeah. that. And they what asked a massive him, amount. Yeah. Yeah. And they asked him, why don't you advertise that? And, and his response, and, and I'm, I'm trying to quote as best I can, his response, well, if I tell everyone I'm using seven-year-old tobacco, someone out there is going to lie and say they're using 10-year-old tobacco. So then, you know, it really, what it comes down to is, <laughs> is can you create a great product? There's always marketing behind everything we do. But at the end of the day, does your cigar smoke well? Do people enjoy the experience? So Lafferty, you, you nail on the head. Yeah, it, it's, it, you know, it's uh, one of the shops uh, in Arizona, Embargo Cigars, always tells people that he has the second largest uh, Lancero selection in the country. He probably has the largest Lancero selection in the country, but he said nobody wants to argue with you about being the second. So he's perfectly content with saying it's the second largest selection, which means he still has a ton of them, but nobody's going to, you know, come out and, and argue. So uh, Dave, Dave's brilliant when it comes to things like that. So it always made me, it always made me happy that he, uh, he does that. You, when you go and you count that you're like, he probably has the largest, but nobody wants to fight him about being the second largest. But nice, right. it, you know, with, with us, when it comes to you know, people ask, you know, what's what's new, I try and I pivot the conversation a little bit because I, I try and change it into, you know, what's good. You know, and I also steal a little bit from NBC when they NBC went through their their rebrand of, you know, it's new to you, you know, when they didn't have new things that were coming out, but you'd never watched it before. And I asked people, you know, what have you had? What have you smoked? What have you tried? Oh, let me explain the different brands to you. And oh, you've had this one. Let me explain how this would be similar, but different. And you might want to try this up. Uh, but as far as when I, I smoked the uh, Silver Razor Brulee Blue Unicorn a little earlier, and I have uh, moved on to the Red Meat Lovers, which happens to be one of our new products that's going to be, that's that's now a nationwide product. For five years, it was a shop exclusive for Smoke In down in West Palm Beach. Uh, and this, Evan Darnell owns the brand uh, Red Meat Lovers, and it was always something that was sort of done in conjunction with Abe. Uh, and Evan really wanted to be a nationwide launch. So at this last trade show, we... We launched it and it's just uh, the container just arrived the other day and we're starting to ship it out. As far as how we deal with with new launches, it just it's always difficult. You always wind up something gets screwed up as something you no matter how much you try your best to get things out there. Uh, it's just it's difficult. We what we do logistically is we try and ship West Coast to East Coast because we're based in New Hampshire. So we're shipping from pretty much the furthest possible place that anybody on the west coast could could get it it's not like we're centrally located in texas and you could just sort of jump out in different areas and get it to people around the same amount of time so we try and start west coast to east coast with the 
with the exception of some of the, uh, you know, when it comes to some of the larger, um, not just because they're larger, but if you look at a web catalog company, uh, dealing with them, and it's part of the institutional knowledge of dealing with these companies for so long, you know how they operationally work. Uh, if something lands on their docs, they're really not going to get into their system for about 30 days. Once it gets there, gets into their system, gets squared away, gets done. So they are always behind everybody else where it sort of looks like, oh my God, they're the big guys and they're out to get everybody, the evil empire. Sometimes they can be, but they if they're not violating pricing and they're not doing things like that, it just, we take for granted how close some cigar shops are when we're in a popular, you know, in a, in a, in a dense area. If you are, if you're in the Dallas Fort Worth area, you get a million and one shops around you. It's, it's great. They're great shops. They're great selections. There's a lot of things going on. If you're in the middle of nowhere in Montana, uh, your closest shop is a four to five hour drive from you. And they might not be the type of shop that, you know, that the cigar geek would consider a good shop and have the things that you want. you, you're like anybody else. If Amazon sold cigars, you'd be going to Amazon, but they don't. So you have to get them that way. So they're uh, they're they're a necessary tool and can be a good partner in this business as well. But what we do is we try and get the stuff out shipping West Coast to East Coast. We get some things out for the customers that we know that are going to take a, a long time to get them into their system. But we this is this is still an antiquated uh, antiquated business. You know, we call every single person that ship. We don't just hit somebody's card. You call them, and a lot of these smaller shops. They're, you know, they're robbing Peter to pay Paul. So you you need three phone calls out to them. They're trying two separate credit cards to try and get it on. We don't offer terms. If you don't pay for the cigars, they don't leave our warehouse. It's just sort of, we got an agreement with the bank. The bank's not getting the cigar business. We're not getting the banking business. So, you know, you got to get it processed out and then it'll, and then it'll be out there. But you know, we try and get the information out as much as humanly possible. We will announce it in advance. We'll do pre-orders for a lot of things. Like we have our new Muesh Vesaka, the Nakatamali that's coming out. We did a pre-order on that at the TPE show and like the six weeks leading up to TPE. So the people that pre-ordered then are getting those cigars now. They're starting to ship out. They just arrived. Uh, we took another round of orders at PCA, at the PCA trade show, and we were very open and honest of if you did not have your allocation in and your order in already, you're going to be in the next round, which will probably be six weeks after the first round. Because we have a container that comes in once a month from Nicaragua, and then we get things squared away. Where again, we have two people in our warehouse. We don't have shipping and receiving. We have shipping or receiving. If a container shows up, we're pretty much shut down for two days until we break down the container, get it loaded in the system, get it through the accounting. It's all into the into the inventory. We make sure that everything is, you know, looks good, everything's all right. And then we start, and then we start to ship. So Again, trying not to be everything to everyone. Our customers, our end consumers, uh, are very active in searching for the product and reaching out to the shops. And the shops understand who we are and what we do. And for the most part, they they get it. And there's not a lot of pressure. Why me? Why me? They know that when the new products come in, it will probably take us three weeks before we get all of it out the door. We've gotten through all the different orders. But you're you know, if you get it within two weeks. That's a, you take it as a plus. If you're on the back end of things, you know, sorry about that, but somebody has to be last in line. And it's not, it's usually like first in, first out when it comes to your orders. If you were one of the last people to get your order into the system, when we look at QuickBooks and you were there, then you just had to, you just had to wait.
Yeah, I want to go back to something like just Miguel, you know, crown heads kind of, I think, I mean, you you all weren't the first people to do this, but in a lot of ways, I think you, what John and, and, and Mike and you all at crown heads did was pioneer a movement for the LE, you know, the limited edition kind of really took on a life of its own. It's always existed before. You certainly weren't the first to do it. But it kind of took on a life of its own with, you know, just some of the releases that you guys did over the years. Uh, I think you created probably the second most popular limited edition series with Las Calaveras behind the monster series of what Pete Johnson does. Um, and where, Derek, what I wanted to bring you in on this, I think what you guys have done, you know, at Black Label has is kind of really taken this to a different level. You guys have, I would I wouldn't say there there's there's several limited edition series that you guys do that are only available once a year or maybe every other year or maybe twice a year and everything but you guys have this really unique balance of it's not new prod it's not new new but to dave's point it's kind of like new to you or it's only available during these times and it i i feel like it it really invigorates your consumer base am, am, am i off there or am i pretty spot on no that's we've we've done <laughs> Man, the last 10 minutes, I've had I've so many thoughts entering my head. It's like, Dave and Miguel, you're almost like chat GPT, like the answers. Like, we do things this this way because it is the best way. You don't auto charge because it's the best way. You do ship west to east if your warehouse is in the east. You do you do these things. You, you become creative. Look, when Miguel was talking about, you know, keeping it fresh, but also the core line is the bread and butter the truth of the matter is any of our companies could take any of our core lines if it had never come out as a core line and you could say this is an LE product and it's going to it's going to fly off the shelves. Um, it's just always the forbidden fruit aspect, right? Like who who wants what? But yeah, I mean, s- some of the LEs look, our first LE ever was the Morphine 2014. We have done that every year, uh, once a year since that came out. But this year will be the first year we're not going to do morphine. Um, Bishop's Blend has been out every year. But this year, we tweaked it. We we changed, you know, what you smoked earlier was Pennsylvania broadleaf wrapper as opposed to the Ecuadorian Maduro. So you have to keep, you have to, you have to do regular core line. You have to sometimes amp up a core line, like go from Last Rites, which is the flagship of the company, and do, you know, age it longer. Uh, add some more Lajero to it and make it an LE that becomes the the viaticum, right? So you have something, those two products, uh, Bishop's Blend and, and and Last Rites to Viaticum are ones, that, blends that have been tweaked, but it, it's, it gets people excited. James is constantly being creative. So we have this sort of hybrid model of straight up Coraline, LEs, LEs that have become Coraline, PCA exclusive, tweaks to LEs, and then new LEs that you know have you've never have never seen the light of days. Creative boxes tweaks on like um, our killer beeline, like when we did the hive with all the different figurados, different sizes and things. So it's a constant battle of having to figure out how to. I say it's a battle. I'm not the one that fights that battle. I mean, I I fight the logistical battle. I think all three of us fight the logistical battle. But you know. Steve and John and James, they they are the ones that are, like you said, they've already done their job by being these creative maestros to do that. And um, it does keep the retail, I mean, the, the consumers and the retailers engaged, especially, I mean, I think all of our companies are very active social media, so people know what's coming. Uh, pre-order, all of that. That's why I said the GPT thing. It's like, 
Yes, 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 100%. Yes, all of that. But uh, our model has been one where, like, for example, Santa Muerte, we hadn't put out in three years. It was an LE. Now it's part of the core line. You know, the special wrappers, uh, special tobacco we don't always get access to. We got Brazilian Matafina. Let's do poison dart for PCA. Mm-hmm. You know, we got some um, Cameroon from Cameroon, not not Ecuadorian Cameroon. Okay, let's make the hyena, make it a tribute. But, but, but that stuff's important. But in and of itself, we want there to be some sort of story behind it. Um, with the hyena, you know, James and Angela having lived in Africa for a time, that's a tribute to their time in Africa as well. And that, that was one thing. Let me take a sidebar here. I won't call anybody out by names, but there was a show that was done not too long ago where it was talking about, you know, some people were saying that, well, they wanted to know, you know, James is kind of a quiet guy until you really get to know him. And uh, I think some people spoke up on the panel and it said that, but, you know, we actually, that stuff is there. It's in the press releases. It's in our social media. It's, are you tuned into it or are you not tuned into it? If you, if you are, or want to go get it, it's there. And we do put it out. It is our job to put it out there. And our, our sales reps are having those conversations one-to-one with the retailers. But, it, you know, keeping things fresh is always going to be the biggest challenge of everything. I, I, I always blow my mind. You see all these ads right now for the iPhone 15 coming out. And I, I always ask, how the hell does Apple get all those millions and millions of phones to get, you know, I know they have contracts. I know they tell the retailers not to drop them until a certain date. But as you said, David, that's a this is an antiquated industry and the cell phone industry is not. So that, you know, somebody gets their hands on ones and posts it online. Then you get retailers from all over the country that, you know, I saw this. How come I don't have this yet? And it's just. Our job is we have to be if there's one word to sum up this whole conversation for the panel that's here tonight, it's one word. It's logistics. And it's a yeah. nightmare. But that's why we're here. Yeah, that's, Look, that's I mean, what our yeah. job is. And and even just getting the product, um, you know, sometimes I think people forget that, you know, our products are made in in, in the third world. Um, getting it from the factory to the port, getting it over to the United States, getting it to our warehouses. Um, you know, I, I, I think there's a lot of pride we take in being a smaller company. Right. And, you know, Lafferty, you talked about how many people are in your office. I, I think it shocks people you know, how small Padron really is, how small all of our brands really are. Because when you think about all the cigars that are sold in this country, they say 1% are is hand-rolled cigars. Our, you know, our companies aren't, we don't have 10 people in the warehouse breaking down these huge, and when Las Calaveras comes in, our whole company just stops. And getting that just off, you know, getting it to the United States in time, getting it to Nashville, Tennessee, getting it in our warehouse, and then trying to get it out to everyone where everyone gets it in a similar time period uh, is is not easy. And and as Derek, as you said, logistics, because one, uh, it's exciting because retailers care. They want to make sure that they have the product when everybody else gets the product. Um, and we are a small industry. And I think what all of us are trying to do is just elevate the industry with unique products, unique cigars, and elevate the quality, the consistency, and bring some excitement um, to the business as well. And I think brands like our three brands that are represented here tonight, and some of your sponsors, um, I think <laughs> nice. we're I think we're the I think we're the shakers and movers of the industry. I mean, mm-hmm. I think the big guys look at us and what we're doing. Um, I mean, I remember a time where. I mean, there was almost no such thing as a limited edition, you know what I mean? And now all the big guys do that as well. Um, and, and what is it? What is an LE? An LE is something that 
a company puts out to bring a little excitement to unique. It could be a unique Vitola. It could be a unique uh, blend. It could be um, a, a rare tobacco that we don't have large access to. And I think that's one of the things that makes our companies very exciting is that we, with our LEs and our core lines, um, I think we bring a lot of excitement to the industry and bring a lot of people into the retail shops. Um, and and um, I think all of us are trying our best job to make sure we treat all of our retailers in, a, in, a, in the best way possible because those consumers demand the product. They want the product there and they want it in a timely manner. And uh, at the end of the day, as Derek said, logistics, 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 man. I'll, I'll tell you where it becomes a, a little bit of a, a little bit of a nightmare and you take, take larger companies and more people that get involved in the different decision-making process of where things should be and brand direction. Um, when you look at something like given an example, back in my Drew estate days, when um, Herrera Esteli did the limited edition Lancero, and then it comes down to, all right, do you, who does this really go to? Does this go to and reward the shops who do really well with Herrera Esteli? Or does it go to your shops who are just your biggest shops? Because they know that it's going to be something. There's only going to be 500 boxes, 3,000, but whatever it was, the number, it's been a very long time. Uh, and you get a lot of the fights that become, no, it should go to the big people. And they're like, well, the big people haven't really supported this brand. Like the big people do well with other things. And this brand is going to be a geek type thing that should go towards this particular consumer. And this shop is a reward to this shop who was done right by this brand, even if they're a, smaller $12,000 a year account and not $150,000 a year account, but they're going to, they, they should have this. And that's, that's where being with a smaller company and just a small family company, you can take those sort of fights out of things. You don't have that kind of arguments because there's a lot less input on where, on where things go, where things should be. And when it comes to LEs, like we don't really do nationwide LEs. Uh, we do different uh, LEs, like shop exclusives, like a once a year shop exclusive for different people. And part of the reason the people that we do it with are not necessarily the biggest shops that are out there. They are a very vocal shop. They have a great social media presence. We look at it as it's more of a marketing expense than anything else. And each of these projects, Steve's put the same amount of time and energy into it that he would for a full brand that we would do a national launch on. It's not like a lot of companies will just sort of take the easy route and say, oh, I'm just going to swap a wrapper on this and call it something different. Uh, and they just, you, know, you just go that way. But we know that our consumers are buying this basically blind sight unseen. They're generally expensive between 15 to $18 a stick and buying the full box. They're, they're going out of their way and he does not want to disappoint our consumer for going out and having something like that. So again, it becomes more of a, a marketing thing versus a, Hey, we're releasing this as a, as a nationwide launch. And it's a thank you for the shops who have been really good supporters, but also do a great job of, you know, beating the drum and every other word out of their mouth is like Saka, 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 Saka. Uh, so much so that shops reach out and they're like, Hey, my customers asked about this. How do I bring this in? You're like, sorry, that's an exclusive for this person. Like, how do I get an exclusive? I'm like, what's your Instagram account? I don't have it. Yeah. Well, get fucked. Like, come on no. now. Like you didn't, you're not, it's, it's not what it's about, man. It's not, it's not where we're, it's not where we're at. Do I look like Jombie? Just like the mystery head going around? Like a little <laughs> piece right now? A little, little bit, a little bit. Mecca, Mecca, hi, Mecca, hi, me. Nah. Look at this right here. Yeah. I, I, think, I, I think part of it is, is also that it speaks volumes though about the companies like ours that do that because buying side unseen or smoke, you know, smoke unsmoked is it's 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 the biggest compliment we can get yes. uh because because the fact it, it speaks to the history of what you've provided to the market um leading into the release of that product 
Yeah, that thousand percent. I think what's really unique about the three-year companies, like you guys approach LEs differently, but one of our, one of my biggest beefs personally, and what you see, uh, and Dave's alluded to it quite a few times tonight, is just the the people that lie out there. You know, a limited edition that's not really a limited edition. Now, you guys approach LEs a lot differently. Like uh, Derek, you were talking about, sometimes it's an annual release. Sometimes you skip a year, right? Like with Morphine not coming out this year for the first time, and things. Yeah, we like haven't that. done Boondock or Sinistry in what five, six years. I mean, mm-hmm. those will be back. They're just taking a nap right now. You know, yeah. um, and, and it's and not a ploy. It's not a marketing uh, trick. It's we. You know, you can only like you said, especially with our factory. You know, we're not contracting with different factories that can do all these different projects. Again, bandwidth. So we want to put out, we want to do Novum Dialis. So maybe, so morphine doesn't come out this year, you know, so. Right. Well, and your, your anniversary blend this year, which was, was sensational with a Limadonna Negra, which was a fantastic cigar. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, as far as I know, that's, that's, that's a truly, that's going to be, is it one and done or is it, is that one of those things that kind of takes a nap as well? That's one and done. It was a 10 year anniversary. We only going to have one 10 year anniversary. So, you know. The Lama Donna's done. That's what I was smoking earlier. It kind of spoke to the beginning of this segment was what we were smoking. And I started out the night smoking the Lama Donna Negra limited edition. What I just finished right now is our Coraline Killer B. So, I mean, it's important to make sure that the, the retailers and consumers understand back to my point about you could make the Killer B a limited edition and it would, and it still is one of our best sellers, but it's, it's, it's about, yeah, smoke the LE. We want you to burn through it, but you know, the core lines are here for a reason. Yeah, and they're just as good as cigars as the LEs. I tell consumers the classic question: "Now, what are you smoking, or what do you, you know, what do you like?" And they tell them all the time. I said, "My favorite cigar that we make is the Nakatomali and the Moestra de Saka line, but what I smoke the most of is the Mi Carita Ancho Largo, the Toro, or or the little Gordita. It's a four by forty-eight. I said I just smoke those one after the next, after the next. Super satisfying smoke, really rich. I said I'm the VP of sales for the company. I can smoke whatever I want." I smoke this and I'll put pictures up every now and again of it. And then, and the comment is not limited, not rare, just really good. You know, it's just about the core line product. And this is just, it's just a great, just a great cigar. And there's some really great hey. stuff that's out there that some people just haven't thought of. Yeah. <laughs> you know, product placement, right. Another get a lawsuit, but like, you know, Coca-Cola has been Coca-Cola and it, yeah. to your point. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's what some of the things when it comes to you know some of our some of our brands and being a small company that people people don't know and being hand sold. We have a couple of uh, our uh, sober mesa brulee and our sober mesa line. We we refer to those a little bit of like a, a transcendent smoke with uh, a lot of our a lot of our accounts where it, it's now because. Connecticut Shade is still the biggest sold cigar that's out there in, in the marketplace for people to come in and have it. So, you know, shops that are having consumers that come in that don't know who Saka is, don't know who Dumbarton is, just coming in and grabbing a handful of Sober Mesa Brulees, like that is, that's huge. Like that is the type of thing that as a company, when you're able to, like the, the, the running thing, people are always like, I want to take some market share away from Macanudo. You're like, are you out of your mind? Like just not going to happen. But when you, when you're able to get something that just sort of gets into the regular consumer's hand that is outside of your regular person who knows you, your geek, your people who are following you, that's a really special moment in time with a product. And you want to make sure to not screw something like that. Screw something like, yeah. you know, it's the, the running joke in the bar business. You know, if you're out of Schlitz, you're out of beer. If you're out of Bud, you're out of business, you know, and being yeah. able to get something that people just come in and grab it and they just want it. And it's, it's a, it's a really nice feeling. 
Absolutely. Guys, I just have a couple more questions along our theme tonight, and then we can go into some of our closing segments and everything. But this is uh, this is one of the questions I've really was burning to ask you all. So, okay, so there, I, I think there's this, uh, again, this isn't, a, this isn't a vacuum, right? And this is in my small group of everything about how people perceive events. You know, events have been, cigar events have been around for a long time. The, 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 what we call the tablecloth show, right? Like you put out a tablecloth, you stack up some boxes of cigars and the, you know, the rep or the national sales director comes in and, and hosts an event. And that's a, that's been a theme in this industry for quite a long time. And, uh, you know, the commentary around that is that it, it's, it's, it's dated, you know, that it's kind of lost its luster to us. And how do you guys keep it? How do you guys keep that, the luster of, shining so to speak and like what are some ways that you all are trying to liven it up or change it up in terms of the the uh the event um i guess mantra of of the cigar industry you know i I, if you guys don't mind i'll jump in here you know for us uh early on when we were doing a lot of events it was about trying to make sure that if you went to an event in Texas, you went to an event in Illinois, you went to an event in Florida, that you had the same experience. So what we found was letting our reps really tailor the event to their personality. So either that be kind of music that they play there. Um, Brian McGee in Texas is a perfect example. He's a guy who really loves grilling. It's a big part of his personality. So he's done some events where it's, you know, He'll grill steaks out at an event, and that's something he's he brings his personality to the events, and that's how we've kept them fresh. You know, it's always uh, always having some really cool swag. Um, Lafferty, I know you guys have some really cool stuff. You guys do your cutter that you guys custom made. You know, for us, it's hats, it's it's uh, torches, it's limited edition event only cigars. Something that we were inspired to do our blood medicine, which is an event only cigar. It's really about part of those events. There's always two ways I look at them. One, you're trying to reward your guys that come in there and already support your product. They come in, they're buying a box on a regular basis. But for that night, they come in and buy a box. Maybe they're going to get a little swag pack or some unique cigar that they haven't had before. And another part of that is you're reaching out. You're hoping to reach out to people that may not be familiar who've never heard of Black Label, don't know John Huber Crownheads, don't know Steve Saka. And part of that is also saying, hey, I want to introduce you to our product. We want you to experience our product. And if you enjoy it, welcome you into the world of crown heads. So there's definitely two ways you kind of go about with, with your events. But for us, trying to keep it fresh, I have allowed my sales guys to try to make it unique and tailored to their personalities. So not only are they sharing our cigars and our culture and what our brands are about, it's also about sharing who they are and letting them get excited about sharing their world uh either it be through music through cooking through some other aspect of their personality and uh, i found for crown heads that's been very successful for us we love doing events we have a roadshow page on our website with all of our events listed and we try to try to make it unique and try to make it fun um so if you do go to events in different states and you meet up with our different reps you're getting a very different experience but it's the same great product at every event so um, and very, and that's kind of how um, we kind of look out of events. It's a great way to reward your hardcore consumer that's always supporting you. And hopefully you'll reach out to some new people that are interested or curious about your product and walking them into the world of said brand. Yeah, I, I go ahead, David. Nope, you first. I was going to say, you know, 
what we found is, you know, we have a lot of uh, uh, merchandise too. We're not a merchandise company, but we, we have to, you know, you have to do it. You have to have the cutter or the crown heads hats or, you know, the black label. We do a couple of different things. We have our own merchandise, but we also bring every year we do unique artwork for both lines. And we have people who know the brand, people who are familiar with the brand and are coming to those events to do the black label event. And they want that stuff. Okay. But there's a lot of events to Miguel's point. Like uh, when I do these bigger uh, shops, the corporate accounts, it's probably for 60% of people I'm introducing the company and the lines to them. And uh, that's why it is important to have a portfolio that does have the, you know, we didn't start off with the Connecticut. We didn't have the porcelain, you know, for a long time. Now it's a bestseller because as David said, Connecticut is, you know, best-selling tobacco out there. But we've we've come to a point where we realize that it's important to have that merchandise there but the reality is cigar smokers are actually we found more interested in cigars than they are in merchandise you know and yes they can get a cigar anytime but bear your question was about going on to how do you not keep it stale which implies the old you know, what are you doing? A five and one, a 10 and three, or, you know, whatever, whatever. And that sounds old and boring, but part of the reason is, is it works. I mean, people would rather get an extra cigar or two than to be given a hat or to, because how many hats do they have? There's those people there that want the hat. So never like enough. They, <laughs> kinda, well, yeah, I know, I know with this conversation based on earlier, that's probably true for this small group, but, you know, we found that you kind of like what we were saying in the last segment about LEs versus core lines. It's like, you have to have both. You have to do the merch. You have to do the event only cigar. Um, but at the end of the day, if I put another cigar in somebody's hand uh, and that's where my loss leader is, but that's what recruits a new consumer or keeps a current consumer happy. That's then that's the play. Now uh, what Miguel was saying too, about playing to the reps personality, you know, I've worked with our different reps to do some of that. Um, you know, we've we've created uh, specific, uh, you know, going go back to Goss, he's very uh, creative, art-wise, very crafty. And so we've done some things to allow him to express his artistic talent. And the, the consumers in New England have really uh, responded to that. Uh, so I, I, I think that it's sort of it's sort of like how many different ways can you make pizza? Yeah, there's a thousand ways, but there it is. It's not infinite. Um, there have been some great promote. I, I never, and I don't mean to offend anybody if y'all do this, but like I, I going there and possibly winning a grill for my backyard when I already have a grill doesn't really move the needle for me as a cigar smoker. Yeah. You know, so we're always thinking of new ways to try to keep, keep up with that. Um, it's working for us, but we're still in that phase of you know, two types of events for us. Hardcore guys at smaller shops, and I want to come back to that in just a second, and then the introductions. Um, I did want to say for the hardcore consumers, you know, they're coming out. It doesn't matter how many of our events they've been to. It's not, while it is about the cigars, they're coming out because they want to see the rep again or myself or James again, because it is a relationship business. And, you know, you do have this events at some of the same shops more than once i mean some shops want an event every year some shops actually ask you for more than that uh, because it works for their business with your brand so you give you you know give them what they want um 
I guess that's all I have to say about it. I probably think of a hundred other things, but that's it. With with me, when it comes to events, I I find that so many retailers are are lazy, um, and just like I want the event to be an event. It's not a discount night. It's not a hey a five and one. It is a come in. I expect you to put a little food together, put something together, give people the reason to come there, and. You know, I'll have this conversation where people are like, oh, come out, do this event. I'll get 300 people there. I said, if you get the right 20 people in a room, we'll do better than 300 people in a room. You get people that understand the brand that want to be there. I really like doing ticketed events. It feels it, it feels special. You get 25 to 40 people in a room. Uh, they're getting some they're getting some cigars. They get them in advance. They're getting a little something going on. We talk about the brand and they and they engage. And sometimes you'll have the new consumer that doesn't know what it is, but knows that it's going on or know some other people in the shop and they come in for it. And it's better than somebody walks through the door and you're immediately, you know, like going into a car dealership, like, Hey, sir, are you here for the event tonight? And you're like, put the goon hand on him, grabbing him by the elbow, bringing him to the table. Let me just tell you about my stuff. Like I know I, I try and uh, I let my, I let my reps do what they think works right in their territory. But I also try and do what is right that people understand our brand and our brand. Sometimes it's not for uh, sometimes it's not for a newer smoker. It's not for a milder smoker. It's not for some of these other people. And I, I don't I, I won't sell someone if they've never smoked my brand before. I don't want to sell them a box. And sometimes that pisses off a shop. I, I'll generally say, are you going to stay stay and hang out with us? Yes. Buy one of these cigars. Buy it. Try it. See what you think about it. Sit, smoke, come back. Let me know what you think. If you decide you want to buy something, we're still going to give you the free goods. Free goods are all coming from us. I don't care what the shop tells you. We're going to take care of you. I want to make sure you enjoy it. I don't want to sell somebody a $200 box of cigars that they hate, that they never go back to the brand. And, you know, it was too strong. It was too mild. It was whatever. If they come back to me and say and tell me either what they liked or they didn't like about the product, I try and steer them in a different direction. But we'll do our event only cigars. We do our cool little saga swatch statues. We do the other things that go along with it. But for us and for our brand, the part of just sort of being true to who we are, the private events work much better. There's there's nothing more frustrating than like I have. Uh, I love Matul Shah. He's a friend of mine. His shop is literally if I wasn't so fat, it would be walking distance from my house. His mother's shop is around the corner from my home. I will not do events with Matul. I just, I am not going to do that type. And he's like, you don't like doing events. I said, Matul, I drive six hours to Manassas, Virginia to do an event every year with Brett and Tobaccoology. Why? He does a low country boil. We got shrimp and potatoes going to the back. We get a hundred plus people that come in. I said, he represents the brand well, and it is an event. It is not come in that night. And I attack your customer when they walk through the door. Like it just, it just not what the brand works well. I said, it just, and it just, it, it drains your soul to do things like that. And when you do smaller things like that, it puts your brand in a bad position. It kind of sets you up to fail. So again, it's the idea of nothing attracts a crowd like a crowd. But if you start just doing these things and the tail's wagging the dog and you're doing an event for someone just because they're beating you up to come and do an event and it doesn't, doesn't work out well they don't get the right crowd that's in there it does it reflect it reflects poorly on your brand no matter who your brand is when it wasn't quite on your brand they just you just shouldn't have done it you shouldn't have said yes to it uh, so like i'm flying to california doing three events with soccer we're doing you know three 
really good events are going to be coming up. We don't travel out all that, all that often to do these things, but I'm also doing a string of stuff through, through the South, through the Midwest and, and all over and doing it. But I, I try to make sure that it's, it's planned out properly. Uh, the reps will do some of their, their own things. And it, maybe it's that I'm a little bit jaded and uh, I'm a bit of a curmudgeon, which is, uh, you know, but also when you look at me and Saka, I'm viewed as the optimist of the group. And I've never been viewed as an optimist by anyone ever, <laughs> but compared to Saka, you know, we just measure with a different yardstick. But I mean, Bear, you've you've seen like the events doing it at Michael's when I'd, I'd come out and do events that people come in and it's great, but we'll do a chili cook-off. We'll do, mm. we'll do something special and unique that's there to get people to come in and be engaged. Like those are my favorite types of events where you're selling things everybody's having a good time but you can really talk to people and they want to come out and they want to be engaged and learn more about your brand and you know for years you have the conversation of what makes an event successful and yes it's always successful and you have people that it's like oh you sell in the you sell in the product you sell out the product you get the reorder but i also look at it as you know this isn't this isn't a smash and grab. This is a Ponzi, Ponzi scheme. This is long-term. You know, it's building the brand and getting to meet people that are there at the event. And if you turn a couple different people that turn that put some of your cigars in their rotation on a regular basis, next thing you know, that those shops and the shops in the area do very well with your product because you just were able to turn on three people at an event that, that try one or two things and they become your occasional box buyers. Yep. So, so here are your choices, gentlemen. Here's the question. Do events in 10 years look vastly different or similar to the way that we do them today? And you guys just listed out the way that you guys approach it from your different companies' perspective. So vastly different or similar in well, 10 years? It, so they, people, again, I, I use the word lazy a lot, and it's only slightly derogatory. It's more of I can't come up with a better word for it. When the pandemic happened, like everybody's clamoring for events before the pandemic, and then nobody could go anywhere and do anything. What people found out is you can still sell product and make money and do things and not need to be face-to-face, even being a small local shop. So I did a lot of promotions with people. We did a lot of things with soccer squatches. We did a lot of things with some event-only cigars. And I still have shops that are around the country that want to do an event. And I tell them it makes no financial sense for me to fly out and do an event with you. Why do you want to do an event? Again, bottom right corner of the spreadsheet. You want to ring the register? You want to make money that month? Let's do a month long promotion. Let's try and do something like that as opposed to like, there's no one else around your shop within three hours. If I'm coming out to see you, it is to see you. And it is going to cost me $3,000 in flight, airfare, hotels to come and see you. And you did $12,000 with me last year. I lost money by coming out and doing this. Or you could run a month long promotion. We could do some something else and we can get that done. But if you want to pound your chest and say, Hey, I had an event in the area. I guess who I had come in here that again, it, our businesses don't align. It's not a good fit for each other when it comes to that. So do I, do I think there will still be, it, it, it depends. It depends if we have another pandemic. It depends on, it depends on just some, you know, certain manufacturers just saying, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do this anymore. Let's find a better way to do business. Like I think when you're dealing with shops that are true business people and not hobbyists, where the majority are hobbyists, when you're dealing with business people, they find other ways to make money and they almost feel bad for you coming out. They don't want to waste your time and have you be there if they can do business anyways. So I think that you will find, I think it's a, a 
a multi-tier answer to the question of how much constriction there is in the industry, who gets acquired, what the big corporate policies become. And if you're seeing that the big guys aren't doing these events anymore, either the little guys are going to go out and just go out there and try and do a ton of events because, hey, everybody, nobody's doing this anymore. We have to be the ones. Or they're going to say, how else can we compete in this marketplace and do this differently? So um, it's probably not a great answer for you, um, but it's it's either going to be a ton of little guys out there spending a lot of money trying to do events, uh, whether they're uh, efficient for them or not. Uh, and I think a lot of the big guys are going to turn away from doing it. You know, I used to go to a lot of events in the late 90s, um, and th those kind of events were very different. Those events, you just came and you got a free cigar and you smoked with the rep. Um, events really have changed a lot. I remember when cigar rollers, you know, everyone wanted a cigar roller on events. So the events in 10 years are going to be very different. How they're going to look, who knows? Um, I, I think Lafferty, you know, what are the policies of the big companies? What are they doing to engage? Are we able to, able to advertise? Is the FDA telling us we can do something we can't do? All of that plays into it. But I think at the end of the day, no matter what the event is, Nothing's better than smoking a cigar, your cigar, with a consumer and talking about your passion and sharing your passion with those individuals. I think that will never change. But how the events look most definitely will change as I've seen them change since the late 90s to today. Um, products are better. I think cigars are better today. Uh, swag is better today. Um, and I think the consumer is much more educated today. And so it will be different. How different will it be? There's so many different things that could that could play into that. But the one thing you can bet on, it will be very different. One one thing that I will add on to that is it's a it's another question pretty much, but it, it, it ties in. They're similar, is what will the industry look like 10 years from now when it comes to, especially when it comes to government regulations, where and it would be it would be detrimental to companies like ours where if all of a sudden the cigar industry, when it comes to taxation, uh, gets regulated like the liquor industry, like you can't call Seagram's and say, I need three bottles of gin. Like you just don't do that. You have to go to the, the distributor that happens to be in your state, in your region, in your wherever, and you get it from them. Uh, when it comes to so many people having uh, tax issues, uh, will states just decide or the federal government decide that it has to be run through bonded warehouses and tax paid and all of that. And they, they, we no longer field calls from shops for things and it has to go through a distribution model. That is where the big guys clean up because they're trust brands, they're names that are already known. And if you're not interacting and you're not engaging specifically, engaging directly with these shops and with these consumers, then you're kind of you're kind of screwed. Uh, so 10 years from now, does it does the business itself look like that? Do you don't you don't know? But you know, always trying to look multi multi steps down the line. A lot of times we don't we don't discuss this openly with consumers, you know, for the most part, but when it's a, a group of us and you know we're been at this for like three hours now. So bear unless you have people that absolutely love you or love one of us, most people are probably not going to get to this part. So we could you know pretty much say what we want. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, you know what what is what is the what does the industry look like 10 years from now? And then I can give you a better picture of what events might look like. Yeah, I think I think with us, it's it's a matter of all obviously all those moving parts. Yes, all of that. But I would say and Miguel kind of touched on it. I would ask you, Bear, do you feel like events today have changed from 10 years ago from today? Number one. And then uh, that's a question for you. But a statement for me, number two, is to say events have changed significantly for my brand 
in the 10 years that my brand has existed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's just a matter of maturing as a company. So we have to keep following that course of what makes sense for us, you know, getting on the road, like, yeah, you know, if, if we're traveling to an area where there's no other shops around, I'm probably not going to do an event there. If I can't like this trip that I'm making now, it's, it's a hybrid trip. It's, I've got a couple of events, but it's mostly about account visits and doing what, you know, Really, from my perspective as a national sales manager, I have three purposes for getting on the road in no particular order. There's events, there's seeing what my reps are doing, and then there's the the accounts uh, without an event, just seeing my face and knowing that I'm engaged with them and care about their business. And if I'm in a part of the country that doesn't have, I can't hit all three of those things and, you know, on within the trip, it doesn't have to be for each individual store, but within the trip, I'm not going to go there. None of us just go, just travel willy nilly because, oh, I'm just going to get out there. It's, it has to make sense. So it's a, that's a very uh, complex question you've asked, but let me, let me ask you to answer my question. Do you feel like events have changed in the last 10 years from what, where they were? As a majority, uh, I don't think they have as a majority. I think all three of you laid out different examples about how you guys approach it. And I think that's why y'all are, again, uh, to my point at the top of the show, I think that's why you, the three of y'all's brands are, are some of the standout brands in the industry because you do approach it differently. You know, Miguel gives his, his team a lot of autonomy. You know, Brian, I think hit a lot on, you know, McGee hit a lot on Pater with his tapping into his passion. Um, and uh, I mean, some of those events were just amazing. The one that I think of was one I unfortunately could not attend, which was at the the train car, you know, in Big Spring, where he did that. He did that cooking competition against Carney. I thought that was just a f- fantastic idea. Um, I think David's approach too about doing something in adjacent capacity really works. You know, that that chili cook-off that we've done at Michael's has done, you know, is is was always one of our biggest events. Um, and so I, I think the I think the approaches that you guys have made uh, and the tweaks that you guys have changed, like you, like you yourself said, Derek, in 10 years, it's changed a lot for you. I think that shows why events for you guys are still successful, but I would say as a majority, I, I would say they haven't. It's usually well, just it's the rep coming in and. It, yeah. It's a constant analysis too. I mean, we all, you know, as an industry want everybody to to do well and see the industry do well and have more smokers and do that. But, there, but, you know, from a from a strictly business standpoint, there's no better feeling for me than walking out of an event and hearing the retailer tell me you broke our record. Yeah, we just you just gave us our most successful event we've ever had. And, you know, if you're lucky, not 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 for um, not for the wrong reasons, but if you're lucky that you never ask. But if you're lucky, the retailer tell you, oh, our biggest event was with brand X and you. Yeah, so you go, you kind of, it helps you know, like, okay, well, I respect that company. And we just performed, you know, we did really well at this shop for our brand at that company. That that's part of an analysis of, of you know, it's 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 not simple uh, addition and subtraction. I mean, it's trigonometry, all these factors that go into to deciding how to go about this stuff. Well, absolutely. Well, awesome. Well. Gentlemen, again, thank you so much for being a part of this conversation tonight. We have a few uh, of our, our, like I say, our fun segments to kind of end the evening and everything. But this has been, uh, we've got some great comments in the chat um, just about how educational this has been. This is exactly what I wanted from the discussion from you guys was just bringing a lot of these different perspectives uh, and a lot of this uniqueness to this conversation. 
Um, so thank you so much for this opportunity to talk to the three of y'all all at once. Uh, this is exactly what I wanted. So thank you. I really, 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 really appreciate it. Bear, you know, we all love you. So, I mean, the fact that it's almost one thirty in the morning here on the East Coast and we're on with uh, we're on with you right now on a Sunday night while my wife is upstairs sleeping. and I'm going to get in the shower because I've smoked two cigars and I smell rancid right now. But uh, we appreciate you, uh, your time, your dedication and just being one of the really good guys that's out there in uh, in, in this industry. We just really enjoy um and speaking for everybody, I shouldn't. Uh, we really just really enjoy enjoy you and putting this putting this together. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. Bear. Well, I thought I thought Derek would be in Central Time, so at least I'd have one cohort with me. But now he's on the East Coast too, so you guys are all <laughs> in the same boat. But uh, we'll get to these uh, next questions uh, a little quickly here. So uh, these this next three, this is our Everybody Eats segment, which is of course sponsored by Postania Cigars. If you always make sure that your servant's towel is bigger than your appetite, everybody will always get theirs. Postania Cigars is more than just great cigars made by cool people. They embody an attitude of gratitude and grit. With Postania. Everybody eats. So, gentlemen, this this question's about food. So, we we're gonna go ahead and ask you guys what is the what is the f- best experience that you have had with eating with other people? This could be family, this could be friends, it could be a combination of both. What is the best experience that you've had with eating with other people? So, Derek, I'll let you lead the lead off here. Uh, so, my wife is a is half Peruvian. And so she, she really loves Peruvian food, which I have not had a lot of exposure to before uh, we got together. And um, so I have to say, I'll keep it real short. Um, one time we, she's always looking for Peruvian restaurants in metropolitan areas because there's just not a lot of them unless you're like in Los Angeles or, you know, places where they may have some sort of significant Peruvian population. Um, one time we went to Boston. I don't remember the name of the place. It was the night she had researched it well before Flew into Boston, got off the plane, got the rental car, went right there. Phenomenal. Chef Kiss. That's it. Beautiful. Uh, well, it you know, I would say for me, um, the very first uh, company dinner I went to when I was with CAO was my first year on the job. We had a company dinner at a really nice high-end restaurant in Nashville. And to be able to you know, for the first time, sit around with the other reps that I was working with, who I didn't get to see very often. And to have John Osgener, who's a legend in this industry, a legend in the pipe industry, to get up and give an incredible speech to us. Um, I always hold that dinner very near and dear to my heart. You know, John was passed on now. He was uh, absolutely one of the, the classiest guys in this business. Uh, taught me a lot uh, when I worked for him. And I will always remember that dinner uh, I'd be honest with you, it was a great meal. I couldn't tell you about the meal, but I could tell you about all the things that Jono touched upon. And it really made me realize that I that I joined the right industry. And um, fast forward 21 years later, I'm still in it. And I always look back at that dinner as a, as a turning point in my in my life and career. Awesome. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a little bit of recency bias. Uh, and this was the dinner that I had last night with my wife for my 50th birthday at Jose Andreas new restaurant, the bazaar in New York city. And it was absolutely amazing. They had these two things. One's called the Neptune's pillows, which was like, it's almost like a shape, like an eclair that has on top of it, it's sliced, uh, super thin sliced, uh, sashimi tuna with fresh wasabi. It's like the way that I describe it is sort of like the best tuna tartare you've ever had in your entire life. It was amazing so much. So we ordered another round afterwards and they did, uh, 
Wagyu air bread, which was similar style of the, the bread that it was on with thin uh, Wagyu beef. And inside was an emulsified Manchego cheese. Uh, and it was just, I mean, as a fat man, just magnificent. You get meat and cheese <laughs> together. I mean, how can you possibly go wrong? It was just, it was a wonderful night. But I will also tie that into uh, a few years ago, my wife and I went to Vegas. Uh, we went away for a little bit of go away for a couple of days and we went to Nobu and my wife is not an adventurous either. So I got the, uh, I got the uh, omakase. She got some regular sushi stuff. And at one point they had this thing called the foie gras cappuccino and it comes out in a cappuccino cup. And it is like the richest ramen broth uh, whipped up with some foie gras in there. It was, it was probably the best thing I'd ever eaten in my entire life. And the, the server comes over and I said to her, I said, that was absolutely amazing. It was probably the best thing I've ever eaten in my, my entire life. And my wife immediately says, you drank it. You didn't eat it. I said, you can't give me this one fucking thing, right? This one thing. I said, I just told her how amazing it was. You got to slap it out of my hand. So that was the, the tie. So last night, so the foie gras cappuccino, absolutely amazing. Still talking about it years later. And last night was absolutely out of this world. But I'm also good with, you know, a chicken parm and some pizza but uh yeah those two those two nice. tie-ins both involve my wife yeah i know uh you guys mentioned how you guys travel with your family sometimes derek so i i know uh alan schumer who uh owns caribbean cigar in miami does incredibly great account for you guys uh i've i've bought a lot of uh, black label from him uh in the past hit right next door next time you're the next seed next time you're you take your wife to miami go see alan right next door is el el shaman or El Shaman Peruvian restaurant. One of the best meals I've ever had in Miami. Unbelievable. He told me about that. I, I visited Alan earlier this year and uh, I got there in the evening and they had already closed and my wife wasn't with me, but yes, it's on the bucket list. Absolutely. It's so good. It's so good. It is Massive fantastic. pieces of Peruvian corn. Like it just, it's uh, such a oh, yeah. unique yeah. thing. Yeah. And the ceviche, it's unbelievable. Oh, it's so good. Awesome. Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, cool. That was our Everybody Eats segment. So next, the next segment, of course, is our is brought to you by Asylum Cigars. Refuge is more than just a physical place. It can be a state of mind. Some of life's greatest reflections can be found in our own personal asylum. Asylum moments like these were made for Asylum Cigars. So light up an asylum and choose your refuge. So, gentlemen, this segment is about, um, you know, again, we, we, we talked about it in the last base, the second to last question, which was about events and how this is a very much a community driven space. We're always smoking. We're doing it tonight, right? We may be apart, but we're, we're smoking cigars together, right? This is very much, very much about community. Um, but every so often we get to have a cigar, uh, you know, whether it's our back patio or some secluded space, and it's just us, it's just us and a cigar. And maybe it's, maybe we're celebrating a birthday. Uh, maybe we're celebrating another event. Maybe it's just because, but those moments kind of imprint a very special place in our minds and hearts and everything. So I thought it'd be really interesting to go around the room. I know Miguel has been a part of this before, but going around the room, talking about a moment that comes to mind where it was just you, the cigar. If you can remember what the cigar was, great. Um, but what was that moment about? So David, I'll start with you. Um, there was a uh, lake house we used to rent up in uh Shapley, Maine, outside of Sanford. Uh, my dad went there when he was a little kid. I went there when I was little, and eventually we sort of tracked the place down, found the new owners of the place, and they they rented it out, and would just spend the the night sitting by the dock, listening to the lake water smash against it, and sit back with a little fire, smoking a 
smoking a cigar. And I, re <laughs> I remember this one particularly because it was the first time that I uh, got a little bit of nicotine poisoning and I had a uh, <laughs> Cuban Bolivar Bellicoso Fino and followed up with a Opus X number two and then had shooting pains in my stomach and couldn't quite figure out what was going on and uh, overdid it at probably about 22, 23 years old. But that was... You know, thinking about the the times at night, hanging out there, you could hear the loons howling off of the off of the lake. Massive full moon, light shining down, uh, just all of it. Just a great, great moment in time. Brings me back. Very nice, Miguel. I know you've shared before, but uh, anything uh, different come to mind, or you want to reminisce about one of the previous moments you've mentioned? Well, real quick, I remember uh, the first time I got to go to Washington, D.C., I was actually I never got to go as a kid. My school, I was always in trouble. So I, I didn't make a lot of those field trips. Uh, but as an adult, I think I was with um, Taranio at the time and they sent me to D.C. And I remember the first time done visiting accounts, walking around the mall, smoking a cigar. It was a light drizzle. And. It was just an incredible experience to walk around the mall smoking oh, a cigar man. and just that light little drizzle. It was just it was like a magical moment. And um, I, I remember uh, that will always stick in my mind because that was such a such a cool experience. The first time to see the mall in person at night um, and there were a lot of people out and, and no one complained about my cigar. It was it was quite the incredible experience. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. That sounds... Oh. Yeah, for me, um, I, there's, you know, like you have cigars you remember, the the, the special time. And, uh, you know, the first one was that CAO Brasilia around that fire. And next time was the first time I ever got nicotine sickness. And that was a whole event that I'll spare everybody. But the most recent one was uh, about two years ago. We had come out with the Swarm cam as a killer bee with the Cameroon wrapper, the African Cameroon on it. And I, I never, I can't say never anymore because I did this one time, but I used to never smoke the same cigar back to back. And I smoked it and I was reached back in the, sitting outside, reached back in the box, smoked another one, reached back in the box, smoked another one, reached back in the box. I smoked four of them back to back because it was that good. And I was just in that right mental space to really be into the cigar. Um, so that that's one that'll never leave me. That's awesome. I, I I wasn't alone, Miguel, but I was just thinking about walking around like cool places like that and being able to do that too. Like it took me back this summer, you know, I was in Scotland and I got to walk around St. Andrews and I was like, I'm going to fucking smoke a cigar on the bridge. And I knew like, I was like, I know I'm like, I'm going to get a couple puffs into the cigar and someone's going to make me chuck it. And I'm like, I don't care. I'm still going to light up a cigar. I'm going to smoke a cigar on that bridge where everyone, you know, every champion of the the open championship holds a when they play at St. Andrew, pulls their holds the jug. And nope, they didn't care. I lit up a cigar. I got to smoke a cigar at St. Andrews, lit one up on the bridge, smoked it there, got a picture, uh, walked around, walked around the uh the 18th there, uh, and just like the whole thing. It was just, it was just so cool. Uh I like. The, I've had moments like the way that you talk about Derek and 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 you Dave like where we're you're you're in a that that quiet space and that mental spot which those are great too but the the walking around by like by yourself or or just enjoying that cigar in the moment time sometimes is just is really great so that's cool thank y'all for sharing those that's fantastic um, 
So this is our last question of the evening, gentlemen. Thank you so much once again. Uh, Dave, as you mentioned, it's super late where you guys are at. So uh, again, the time that you guys have made for me on this Sunday evening. Uh, again, Derek mentioned the grind earlier. I know you guys are getting up uh, super early and getting back to the grind. Uh, so the fact that you guys have made the time for me, I really appreciate it. So this is our last segment. The Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust curveball segment. Fastballs or curveballs, it doesn't matter since the company's inception. Steve Sock has been knocking them out of the park. Eight, count them up, eight consecutive years in the consensus top three. Congratulations to our good friend, Mr. Steve Sokka. So, Dave's kind of already answered this question at the very top of the show. He didn't know it, but he kind of did. But I thought it would be a fun little exercise uh, to talk about now Derek's in a little bit of a unique position. He doesn't have a boss. He has a partner in James. But we're talking about Steve, John Huber, and James Brown. So this is the what I call the best and uh, the best of. So what makes – how does John, James, and Steve – this is a two-part question. I'm going to give you guys both. Make your life difficult when – but make your life easy when. So that's the two-parter. Make your life easy and make your life difficult. So who wants to go first? I'll Dave's volunteer. Make, here we go. Let's let's, let's the sponsored segment. Let's go after Steve here. Here we go. <laughs> make makes my life difficult when he is at events or at shops and just gets involved with the sales aspects of things. I say when Steve Saka comes to an event, I just like to put him in a back room and let him talk to people. Uh, don't try and have him sell something or do anything because he's miserable doing it. He's terrible at it. And he drives people, but he does it in a, he's a little socially awkward and he does it in a way that he doesn't intentionally try to do it. And the real life example I can give, he was doing an event at two guys one time and a woman came in and her son was graduating from college and she wanted to buy a box of cigars for her son and his friends for graduation. So the, one of the guys goes in and grabs the box of Sober Mesa, you know, uh, Elegante, you know, the box of cigars over $300. And Steve, hears the conversation that goes on. She's walking away. She's like, Whoa, what's, what, what's this for? She's like, Oh, my son is graduating. He's like, they smoke cigars. She's like, no, I'm just going to get it. He's like, no, no, they're, they're not going to appreciate that. Give me that. No. And he grabs a bundle of dos hombres that are like $75. And he's like, here, just give him this. Just, they're not going to know anybody. <laughs> give him this. And the guys are like, no, no, no see, she wants this. He's like, no, I'm no, there's no reason. It's going to be a waste of money. It's terrible. And they were like, so pissed. Like you cost us $200. What is wrong? He's like, but she's not, they're not going to appreciate it. Like in his mind, he just like, didn't care about the sale it was about i want them to enjoy it and they're not going to enjoy this it's got to be a waste of money and i i won't do it he had he had a shop one time where the the uh, customer came in they wanted something mild the only thing that was left was like totos las dias and you know the shop owners giving the guy a box of totos las dias and it was like the strongest cigars we made and steve's like no take that don't buy that get something different uh, guys like you fat man go sit in the back don't talk to my customers so he can he can make things difficult doing that and also having conversations with shop owners and not including me or Cindy in it. And then we just sort of get the call of, Hey, that thing that we were going to do with Steve, that we talked about six months ago. And we're like, we have no idea what you're talking about. And it turns into the mad scramble because they all spoke about it once, never followed up about anything else and never let any of us know. Uh, so that is the difficult portion makes my life easy portion is makes incredible products and trusts uh those of us uh, that he employs to do our jobs 
and empowers us to do our jobs and has the faith in us that we do it and doesn't micromanage the hell out of us and tell us, you know, you need to do this and here's exactly how you need to do it. Uh, he definitely gives us uh, free reign to do what it is that we're supposed to be doing and has the faith and trust in us in doing that. And he's just the all around, just he's a good person. He's, um, it's very, he has an expression that he uses that pisses off some of, like some of our reps don't get it. And he said, I, I think of my sales reps the same way that I think of my underwear. I just want them to do their job. If I start to have to worry about whether they're doing their job or not, it's probably time for a replacement. So one of our reps got pissed off. He's like, I can't believe he called us his underwear. I'm like, well, the takeaway shouldn't be that you're full of shit. I said, I don't know what your underwear is like, but that wasn't the underwear analogy that it's supposed to be. It's like, it's, it's very Belichick. Just, you know, it, do your, it's do your job. Uh, so it's just easy. You know, if you're the person that does, that does your job. I, I remember doing an event with him one time at a cigar bar in Providence. It's not there anymore. It's cigar masters years ago in the true estate days. And he's talking to these two end consumers at the bar. And he's talking about this new tobacco being grown in Connecticut. Hasn't been done for years. It's this, uh, Connecticut, uh, it's, a. a, a it's a Connecticut Habano seed. It's the T52 seed strain variety, the Connecticut Growers Associate, which eventually became League of T52. And he's explaining this to these two guys. And I said, yeah, this is the first that I heard of it. I don't know anything about this. And he turned to me and said, you don't need to know anything about it until it's time to sell it. And I said, okay, boss, got it, understood. And that's kind of... It's kind of what it is. So he'll put things on, like he can drive us crazy because he'll put things on Facebook. He'll announce things on Instagram. And we're not joking. Like the office knows nothing about it. I know nothing about it. Cindy knows nothing about it. And we start to get these phone calls from shops. They're like, what's this thing Steve's talking about? We're like, I have no fucking idea what you're talking about. Let me go look at social media right now to figure out what this is. And he's just like, this stream of consciousness puts that stuff out there. So that can drive you a little bit crazy, but he definitely backs it up by doing great products and just being a good person work for work with awesome Derek what about you and James let's see the hardest part um where it makes my life difficult is you know if you know James at all he truly is I mean not only in the word but he actually is an artist he's a painter um but all all that comes with an artist you know that when the creativity hits it hits and as we talked about earlier the key to our jobs is logistics so we have to be planners and organizers and, you know, and, and there are times, uh, you know, where something will come up and out of the blue where he's gotten inspiration. And I, similar to that, you know, I didn't know it was coming and I hadn't planned for it and I'm not ready for it. I don't have time to get it together. Uh, and then, you know, it kind of, things can back, you know, uh, back up a little bit because of that. But at the end of the day, it's the creativity that he has that drives our company. So, you know, I can't, I can't really, I can't really hold that against him. I mean, it is part of the reason that I was asked to join the company was we already had an artist in the company with James. We already had a factory man or somebody who was capable of managing the factory and who do that, you know, Angela, we already had somebody doing the books and the back end stuff and Stephanie. So my job was to come in and do operations. So we know it's that tug of war that you have to have you know, you have to have to keep it balanced and keep everybody sane, you know, so, so that you stay balanced. So that's the part where it becomes difficult. Uh, but the best part, the, the way that he makes my life easy is, I, I don't know if I can put this into words, but he has a way about him that is always very fair and measured. He uh, listens, he trusts me and Angela, Stephanie, my partners, they trust me to do what I need to do they will listen. Um, but ultimately, as the founder of the company, he can come in if, if, you know, 
if something's a little unbalanced or we're not getting on the same page, he has a gift of being able to make us all cohese without there being a lot of conflict with it. And, uh, you know, and, and the trust that I have in him for that, it really makes me want to work harder. And I think it, it's uh, it's really good for our team to continue getting stronger in that way to know that we are all pulling in the same direction. And um, I'm, I'm just so grateful that he has that that talent to be able to see the bigger picture. Yeah. So, so I could definitely see that from him in that calming, yeah. that calming presence that you're talking about. And yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah. All right, Miguel, tell us about John. Well, I think, you know, with John, uh, his creativity, I think, really drives uh, the company. And I, I think Lafferty and Derek both said um, when they make the people that you work for or work with is when they make great products, they make your life easier because you're you're very confident in what you're selling. You're very confident in introducing people to these products. And that will always make your life easier as a sales manager when you're out there selling something that you know a lot of work and a lot of love went into, that you know there's a lot of passion. You know, we don't create products and go to a focus team and say, hey, what do you think about this? Should we change this? What do you think about the colors? We don't. It, it all goes back on John's shoulders, right? And so um, what he puts out there, as long as you're very confident and you know that that person you're working with is putting out great product and putting their cells into it, it makes your job that much easier. Um, I think John, how active he's on, uh, he is on social media is a great, uh, helps me a lot because he really gets the word out on new products and things. And so when we're going into retailers who watch our, our social media, know about some of these items that I'm going to talk about or introduce them to make my job harder. I mean, John really is always trying to make make that seamless and try to make it, you know, make my job easier every day. Um, I would definitely say John is not a he's he doesn't have the tack to uh, um, to necessarily uh, talk to consumer or talk to a retailer. You know, he doesn't uh, it's not always he can't always sugarcoat things. John is very blunt. Um, uh, and, and to, so, uh, I always say, John, uh, let me handle this. Um, you know, you're sometimes this needs to be a little bit softer. The message, I hear your message. I'm going to take it in and I'm going to deliver it a little different way, but the point will get across. So, uh, those are the good and the bad. Um, but I've known John for every, ever since I got in this industry and, uh, he thrives to make my job easier every day by trying to create great products. So that's it, man. That's all. John, John's videos on Instagram. What's good, Instagram? What's good? Go, what's good? And then he goes into his his thing, man. I love I love his videos. I guess well, you, guys, of- you guys are awesome, man. I'm I'm happy to be here tonight. Um, it is late. It's 1 33 on Eastern Standard Time, but I appreciate um Lafferty. I've known you many years. You're a great guy. Derek, I look forward to seeing you down in Tampa here soon. And uh, uh it's great. Uh Bear, I always appreciate doing your show. It's always a lot of fun. So thanks, man. Oh, thank you so yeah. much. Thanks for uh, reaching out to me and asking me to be a part of this. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, guys, I, I, I just, I know I've said it several times tonight, but this, this is exactly the show that I wanted. Um, I wanted the three of you specifically. I got my first choices on this when I put together this, this concept in my head. Um, and you guys were the three that I, that I thought of. And, um, and it, it, you know, I was blessed for you guys to all think it was a great idea. And, you know, like we were able to put it together in, in, in short order. So it just, uh, it means a lot to me for you all to, to set up time, some, set 
set aside some valuable time this late on a Sunday, as we've mentioned. Uh, I know you guys got to get back to the grind and everything. So we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show now. Uh, give, we really appreciate our audience too. Uh, you know, a lot of y'all stayed up late listless. We really appreciate that as well. You can always check us out yet later on our YouTube channel, Lolosifumar. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. If you are, um, and if you are listening to us later on podcasts, whether that be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, or wherever you listen to podcasts, be sure you hit the download, subscribe, and review buttons. If you already are a subscriber, do me a favor, hit the word unsubscribe, but don't forget to hit resubscribe because that kind of helps my numbers. And then I, that's why these people come back this late every Sunday uh, because, you know, it'll, you know, says that i'm popular when i'm really not but that's okay i appreciate the illusion um so be sure you do that as well you can always check out a calendar of upcoming events on our facebook page where we broadcast live every sunday at 9 30 central 10 30 eastern and we go into the wee hours of the morning as we alluded to just a moment ago so for everyone out there we do really appreciate all those likes shares and comments keep them coming and i as always am bear duplicity live from the alec bradley lone star studio of azel texas he's dave lafferty miguel shodell and Derek matthews gentlemen we'll see you next time thank you guys appreciate it take care everybody adios fellas Bye.